Tip Today with Fran Curry, IMRO Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, some listener reaction to my comment about anti-vax. We'll also be chatting to listeners about uh, pyjamas in public because that uh, controversy trundles on and also the plight of carers. We have financial advice with Francis O'Hanlon of FOH Finance. Global politics with uh, Tipperary's Thomas Conway. Ali and John G. O'Dwyer will visit uh, Arlo for walks and talks. We have weekend sport with uh, Paul Carroll. And the Drummondier Literary Festival is happening uh, this coming weekend. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com and of course we're always delighted to hear from you whatever way you might want to uh, make contact with us. Quick look at the headlines today as you can imagine all across the newspapers much kite flying about uh, tomorrow's budget. The Irish Daily Mail. Cash strapped parents are to be handed uh, some major financial relief in tomorrow's budget as free school books for primary pupils will be announced we're told um, the Irish Examiner family is the big winners in the 10 billion euro budget it's an eye-watering uh, figure isn't it families with uh, toddlers to teenagers are to be the big winners in tomorrow's 10 billion budget bonanza to tackle the cost of living we're hearing from the examiner also interesting one on the examiner today data centers um, the operators are requesting connections to gas networks to fire their own generators because they cannot connect to the national uh, electricity Electricity grid, which is prompting warnings about emissions and um, uh, energy security as well. The Irish Indo, free books, smaller classes on the way for primary schools. And also the Indo telling us about uh, the pension market set for a bit of a shake-up after two big international providers said they plan to launch the first new retirement products in this country for years and years. And uh, those two entities, uh, Vanguard and Royal London, and we'll be speaking to uh, Francis O'Hanlon later on. She might be able to tell us more about that. Uh, The Irish Times, uh, dominated by the most incredible photograph, absolutely incredible, of a skydiver, a guy called John Dodd, uh, who free falls from a hot air balloon um, during the 50th uh, Irish Hot Air Balloon Championships in Bury yesterday. And uh, seemingly the championships there are the longest running in the world. But the photograph is just scary to, to look at, but wonderful in its own way as well. The Times telling us as well, budget boost for parents of young children. And also uh, Larry Goodman's Beef Empire has used uh, tax adjustments in a little-known Dutch company to reduce its overall tax bill by passing loans for hundreds of millions of euro between different arms of his business in Ireland and uh, the Netherlands, according to the Irish Times today as well. So that's a peek at what's making headlines today. If you want to make a comment on any of those, 83 Now, a grant of up to €50,000 will be made available to farmers to refurbish one-off derelict houses 
on their farms and the grant is available for the restoration of houses that will be principal private dwellings and that's a very very important part of this scheme well peter was in touch with us about this and he joins me now peter good morning to you good morning fran how are you today uh, i'm very well indeed good to talk to you you've been sort of calling for this for quite some some time peter is it exactly what you're looking for though um it's a help fran yeah it's, it's actually great to see you moving uh in this direction i've been calling for this for years but I think um, the money for the big companies isn't in it, so it never got much um, much um, speed or much uh, help from the political side of it. So it's good in that sense, but mm. it still has an awful lot of flowers from what I can see of it. Like, I was trying to get more information on it over the weekend, but um, it's... It's pretty, you know, it's pretty basic is what they have announced so far, friend, you know. Yeah, uh, the, the principal dwelling part of it, I mean, that's that's very important. So my read on that is that it would be only available to maybe sons or daughters of the farmer in question to do up a house for themselves. Is that is that is that the right reading of it, that's, Peter? That's my read on it. And is that's it? where yeah. I have the major problem with it. Yeah. Because most farmers... We'll have a house built already. They'll probably be able to get married, maybe starting a family. Mm. It's their siblings, their sisters, their brothers that need a leg up, that needs a chance. So you have an idle house on a farm, mm. and the only person who can use that is the farmer. Mm. Like, I don't really know what's wrong with this, the mentality of this country that the second child, the third child, or the fifth child isn't equal to the first child. Everyone in the farm should get if you can give them a hand, give them a leg up, it should be done that way. So, to me, this was just another, it's just another handout thrown out at the clown match to feel good factor when when all the boys were up for the, the couple of days. Yes, you know? and I so, should have mentioned that, uh, that the announcement was made by the Minister at the Ploughing Championships, Peter, yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah. besides the, the rural houses, Matt, there is lots and lots of houses throughout the countryside. Mm. To me, I think all those houses could be used as a, as a pop-up, a leg-up for to get started. Because most of those houses are pretty small. But if you have a derelict house, 50 grand isn't going to... I mean, you Well, know. you see, 50 grand would go an awful lot more with a derelict house than 12 when you decide to break a gap in the ditch. Okay. You, okay. you don't need mm. an engineer. You mm. don't need an architect. You don't need to pay the council to break a gap in the ditch. Mm. You more than likely have water, and you more than likely have electricity connection. So you're 50,000 up before you start. Right, so you have all the services there, presumably. Yes, yes. and you don't need the penny. Mm. Yeah. So you, if you have 50,000 to start off with, mm. it's an awful lot better than uh, applying for uh, your planning permission from the very start, because there'll be 50,000 gone by the time you'll actually probably lay a block, you know. And it's important to add as well, and I'm sure you, you've seen this, it's 50,000 for derelict houses, but there's 30,000 for vacant houses on a farm available. Yeah, it, 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 that's a kind of a funny one. Yeah. Like, any house on a farm that needs to be done up is obviously vacant. Like, everyone mm. should get maybe 30,000 to do up that house if they're just saying to bring it to a better standard. Oh, I see what you mean. So what's the but, difference you're saying between derelict yeah. and vacant? And yes. It could, it could be, yeah, okay. Yeah, you see, like if your house, if, if it's lived on, but you you can get um, the money to do it up, there's enough of people probably need money to do up the house that would be at the same standard as what we're talking about there, do you know? 
that's that's where they'd be coming from. And it's a pity, as you say yourself, that they don't widen this because we need all the rental properties we can get as well. Yeah, I I think within, within, I think maybe a square mile of even where I live myself, I think we had we had numbers of up to 100 vacant houses. And we have people, I walked the streets of Mill last night and there were people that are homeless. Uh, it's a very sad sight, you know, to see people sleeping as early, you know, up at mm-hmm. about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the, in the night, even in our own local town. Just houses all over the place with a little bit of um, foresight and a little bit of money spent and a little bit of cut out the red tape Mm. We could have an awful lot more people housed. Well, you see, it's the red tape is the problem because uh, for these houses to be turned around, my understanding, Peter, is that they have to be brought up to a certain standard. And that's that's what the hold-up is. Yeah. If, mm. if, um, if you, yeah, the council, especially the council, mm. it's unbelievable. Mm. Like the standard, the houses have to be brought before they'll hand them over to somebody. Yeah. Like, I think that needs to be looked at because um, all our parents, ourselves, everybody, we were able to live in houses that actually didn't need things at, at that higher standard, yeah, like, sure. you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we had people on this programme, Peter, I'm not sure if you heard them, but they were willing to take on the doing up of a house themselves if they got the house, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of people out there that are very, very capable of. Um, putting a nice home together for themselves. Yeah. But all they need is a start. And if you look, even if you look at these new grants, the amount of red tape and the amount of stuff that has to be um, uh, cleared and, and passed and got through, mm. what does any? Like, a tax clearance. Most of those people that are looking for those houses, I don't know, it's a, what tax clearance are you talking about? Mm. Like, it's, there's so much stuff that it's it's just another. It's just another gimmick to to have something to throw out there for the big day when they were out in, in my book, like. And, and I do welcome um, any help, whatsoever that's given to getting our young kids in that housing. Right, but like yourself, I I'd like to see more detail uh, on this because it seems a little vague to me in places. So. Yeah, like I know, I know house. I know plenty of houses where. There's the principal farmer, the son of the farmer, um, are living in their own house that they build and the best look to. Mm. But there is an idle house. Their brother or sister would love the opportunity to be able to get a chance of young up that house. But they can't because they're not the principal. They're not the principal live, person to live in it. Uh, they're not the principal owner. You're not the farmer. Yes, of course. Know, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. What are you expecting from the budget tomorrow? By the way, Peter, I mean ten billion of a spend. You, you, yeah. You're laughing. You're laughing at me uh, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, self-employed. I'm expecting oh, nothing. Right. To be honest okay. with you, <laughs> nothing at all. Uh, that's really no, no. I, I, um, you know, it's. You know, no, I, I don't understand why all this money is after coming out of all of a sudden. I just think there's probably an election on the way within. Probably before January, and uh, do you think so? Oh yeah, I think the plug is going to be pulled shortly, and uh, I think so. All you have to do is look at the town match. Like they nobody, they want the politician in the country walking by the looks of it, because they're all, they're all there. They were all they were all there, and uh, now there's ten billion they can throw out tomorrow. Uh, there was no money a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, you know, they have all this now to throw out. They give a little grants out to the farmers. They're, they're going to give free school books. God only knows all. Yeah, the amount, the amount of kite flying over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I'm not sure how much has to be announced tomorrow because we seem to we seem to know uh, what's going to happen. But it's a, it's a, can I ask you what you're self employed doing? What do you mind my asking, Peter? I, I'm a builder. Oh, you're a builder. Okay. I'm a, yes, I I actually am a, a small a small builder. And uh, but you must be run off your feet, Peter. I am actually yeah. yeah. I'm very very busy, but I I do an awful lot of. Um, conversion and mostly uh, old buildings. I have a love for them. I, I love to bring them back to life as well. And um, so, I, yes, I have, I have plenty on. Thank God there's no scarcity. Of work, right, so like you, you have it. a real interest in what the, 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 the government is talking about, where these old farm yeah, dwellings I, are concerned. I'm, then. I'm going um, out to a job now this morning uh, when I'm finished off yourself, man. Mm. And the last time somebody lived in that particular house I'll be working in was 54 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's an absolutely uh, beautiful house now. There's history in that house. There was a captain that um, that fought in the Irish um, um, in the wars in the back years, Captain um, O'Mara, mm. and which was a very famous man in the, in the Waterford area of this country. And um, to see his house, he was the last man to come out about 54 years ago. And there'll be somebody going back into that house now, um, probably in February or March. Isn't that fantastic? And what about yeah. bringing that up to the, uh, the the rating for insulation and all of that? Is well, it... well, you see, the old people, if, I, if, 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 if the new engineers and architects and that won't mind me saying and, and give me hello, but the old people were very clever. They, were very, they knew how to face a house. They knew the size of windows. They knew what way to have a door. Right. Uh, so all of those houses are very, very easy to heat. Are they? Yeah. The, the stone wall in them, all the stone wall is a cavity. If you take a stone wall out and, and, and go through it, right. there is no stone reaching either side. Which okay. is created a cavity, which we have done with blocks afterwards. Right, but they did it in a natural sort of a fashion. Exactly. There's a lime plaster, which is warm, and keeps the house, keeps the moisture um, under control. So it's actually not very hard to bring those houses up to a standard. What what about windows and the like, uh, Peter? I mean, my memory of old houses was that there'd be drafts and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, but obviously at this stage you'd have to change windows. But you can get the nice old-fashioned windows with the double, triple glazing on them. That will just seal the house beautifully and and look old and look the same. But the windows were always smaller. You see, of course, in, yeah. in, in later years, it was more important for the neighbour to see your house than have a thunderized wheel, do you know? <laughs> uh, no, that is true. That's, That's the true. reality of it. I know, uh, I know. And all know, these new architects, it's all about light, and there seems to be glass everywhere. And uh... Yeah, and to come back to all these flat roofs, mm. that was a nightmare to Oh, everybody. I remember them so well, yeah. Yeah, do you know, when... When you'll never see a flat roof in an old house, it was only the bits that were stuck on in That's years That's right, later. and they leaked like hell. Yes. Wasn't and it they, felt? And, uh, yeah, 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 and they created all the, all, all the trouble. And now, if you look at the lake of, uh, when I look at them at Bannon on television, I, I just have to, I just have to just turn it off. I could, you know, because it, it's not re- reality in my book. I'm not saying, saying it's not. It well, you'd, wa- you'd want an open checkbook, wouldn't you? Like... 
Ah, uh, yeah, sure. If we carried on like that, um, we'd be ran at this stage. We, would, we wouldn't have, you know, you can't go into somebody, be three quarters way through a job, and then announce to them that they have a um, woodworm in their attic. Like, and it's going to cost you another hundred grand or something. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Like, like that, that kind of stuff is just, it's only television. And I think when, when we realise that, uh, it's easier to watch. Yeah, it, but it is fantasy know. stuff. Pat is having a go at you, Peter. Who? Pat is having a go with you. I'm sure there'll be a lot having Pat, a go with Pat me. says, it's all explained now. Peter is looking for work for himself. And that's what this country is all about, me, myself and I. <laughs> and I, I, anyone that know me, you know that's not the case, uh, uh, friend. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, sure. I, yeah. I tell Pat um, he didn't bother come up with a head job for me for a few months anyway. <laughs> but I tell him I will look at that, and he'll have one then after that. <laughs> uh, Peter, really good to talk to you today, and we wish yeah. you well. And uh, thanks yeah, for your no time, brother. Peter. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now that's uh, Peter on with us uh, today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven twenty one past nine. Right down. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Listener was on to say, Hi, Fran, good morning. With uh, regards to the budget and allowances, we work in our household. We have friends who both don't work. Recently, we all sat down together and the topic of money arose. The long and the short of it was, wait for this, they were approximately €220 per month better off than us with regard to actual spare cash for niceties, taking into account their mid-cards, grants, allowances, social welfare, etc. That is shocking says one of our listeners. Same listener goes on to say the fair deal scheme has thousands of houses sitting there in limbo, not able to be touched, just deteriorating. What about those properties? Says one of our listeners on 083 311 A listener says Peter is 100% right about uh, Mr. Bannon. Flat roofs everywhere, uh, bar his own house that he renovated himself. Indeed, he did at huge cost too. And I think those costs uh, overran as well, as far as I remember. Uh, Barbara. Uh, says, I hope you're both uh, doing great. We are indeed. Thanks, Barbara. Regarding the houses uh, having to be up to scratch before tenants move in, I'm sorry to tell you that's bull. Uh, Only speaking my mind, being honest with you, mine was in a sorry state, no gas or electricity. I was told if I didn't move in, I would lose it at the time. Two children at uh, that stage, only babies. Uh, Back door, uh, blow in, board up wood. Okay, so it was in a pretty poor state. And uh, they went in three days before Christmas, Barbara tells us, and the house was in a, a sorry condition. Anyway, lots more coming into us on that. 83 Now, on Friday, we discussed wearing pyjamas in public spaces following a cafe owner in County Meath, uh, banning them from her premises. Uh, James was in touch, and uh, he joins me now. James, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. Your feelings on this, James? Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't think it's, it looks right. 
Um, and it's kind of a gender thing, isn't it? Um, I think if, if, if a man walked into a restaurant or a shop or anything in his pyjamas, he'd be scoffed at. <laughs> That's Do a very good I mean? point. I hadn't thought about that, yeah. No, it would. I mean, and where's it going to stop? Like, you know, um, I, I fully agree with the, the owners. You have to have some sort of... Um, Rules, I suppose, you know. Standards, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. standards, yeah. yeah. I mean, where's it going to stop? It's I a mean, very interesting point, though, because it yeah. seems to be mostly uh, women or young girls that go around wearing pyjamas. But you're, you're yeah. right, if a fella did it, he'd get some pretty peculiar looks, wouldn't he? Yeah, they'd probably think he's after escaping from a hospital or something. Or, you know what yeah. I mean? He'd be just laughed at. Uh, I mean, what's going to happen, say, summertime? <laughs> You have guys going in in their speedos and things. You know oh, I mean? my God. While well, I'm trying to eat a sandwich, <laughs> yeah. that could yeah, be... Yeah, I post the thought, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, 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 I don't think it's right. It just doesn't look right. And you, you often see it even uh, school collection times. Mm. You know, you, you get to, and, and as I say, it's always, always young ladies. Yeah, and well, um, one of the women who spoke to us the other day said that, you know, she doesn't agree with it happening in a cafe or a restaurant, obviously. Yeah. But she, she admitted herself that when she's bringing the kids to school, she could well just throw a coat on over the pyjamas. But you, you would you object to that as well? Well, I, I don't see why... why I, I know what she's saying. Um, it, but it doesn't take um, only a couple of seconds to put on a, a tracksuit bottom or something like that, you know what I mean? And uh, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look hygienic, any of the first starters, you know? What do you, um, what do you mean, the fact you've been sleeping in this all night? Yeah, and you, yeah. 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 Plus, if, if you t- turn around the following day, they're probably turning up in the, in the same pajamas. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's not right. I don't think so. Anyway. Oh, right. And uh, do you th- so you think your woman in, in County Meath, she was right to, to ban this attire? Oh, I, I think so. I think yeah. so, yeah. 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 All right, well, you make okay, your point yeah, very yeah, well, yeah. James. Good to talk to you. And you, friend. Thanks. Talk to you again. Take Thank care. you, and bye-bye to you now. That's uh, James with his thoughts on uh, the pyjamas. He's not even into uh, having to witness it around school time and bringing the kids to school. So, again, how do you feel about that? 83 Fran, my wife is 66. She was refused her pension as I'm still working. She worked... Um, when the family came, oh, she worked and she stopped when the family came. So she had not the stamps. Will Fran ask Francis if she's entitled to anything at all? And that's Francis O'Hanlon that we'll be speaking to a little bit later on in the programme. We'll certainly put it to her because she's going to speak to us about pensions, among other things. So thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Uh, Fran, I was shocked that the board had up vacant and indeed fast becoming derelict at Clanmel Town Centre buildings this weekend. Um... One is endeavouring to add to the town with plazas and parks, etc. Yet these properties are allowed to rot and decay while people cannot afford basic housing. Red tape and hypocrisy uh, by our town planners, it says here. And uh, a lot of people agreeing with uh, Peter this morning as well and saying, I wish we had more people like your guest in government. Somebody else saying, Peter is correct about uh, one thing I can't figure out uh, either. Uh, TDs on 100k plus and they can give all week at flowers, fairs and funerals. 
just to, to make a few statements in the Doyle and out the gap then. Why can't they work Monday through Friday in the Doyle to sort out the country and let their constituency office so that the local stuff is there in any case? Uh, it's a joke to the man and woman who's getting up to do a day's work and put their, their kids through college, says Timmy to us on 083 311 Back in just uh, a moment. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. And you're very welcome back to Tip Today. How should pyjamas be okay to go out in public, Fran? Uh, not many weeks ago on the programme, it was brought up uh, that people were not allowed to go into pubs in Dublin in track suits and some of those designer and expensive sportswears. So that's an interesting take on it as well, isn't it? Fran, the, the people that turn up in their pyjamas are basically too lazy to change and put something respectable on. This is one of our listeners. It's easy to know that it's Monday morning, isn't it? Um, last week I spoke to a lady who found out on her first date that uh, the uh, guy in question uh, would not uh, be vaccinated. And in the course of the conversation, seemingly I refer to him as an anti-vaxxer. Uh, now, Richie took exception to this and he joins me in line. Richie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed and thanks for coming on with me today. No why problem. did you, why did you take what context did I say that in, by the way, Richie? I felt kinda of disrespectful. You know, at the time it was kind of rage and just that little bit when you hear the word anti vaxxer. Mm. Um we don't know why this man refused it. He could have had medical issues in the past. Mm. He might have had GP advice, maybe not to take it. Maybe it wasn't suitable. So it just came across that I don't think it was anyone's business why this man refused or even he wanted the uptake of a vaccine. Mm. I think we all got ahead of ourselves over the last two years asking each other, which one did you have? What brand did you have? I'm going for second or third. It was no one's business, only their own. Mm. And for someone to terminate a relationship over what somebody wanted to put into their body or not into their body, people walk these streets not that long ago campaigning for my body, my choice. Mm. And it all got out the window. And I just found it frustrating that this woman terminated a relationship because of the man's vaccine status. But, uh, you know, if I refer to him as anti-vaxxer, it's not that I'm immediately making up my mind as to why he was anti-vaxxer. It was yeah. just just terminology more than anything else, Richard. Well, that's the terminology we have to change. Yeah. And yeah. How, how should I have referred to him, do you think? Uh, I don't think anyone's medical affair is of anyone else's mm. consequences. Your status you're doing between maybe you, your family, and your own GP, it's... It's someone else's business, right. you know. I, I think we just have to drop the, the thing. You said, well, that was your choice. You know, just leave it at that. Yeah, maybe. but all I was trying to do was clarify as to why she dropped him. And it seemed to be because he hadn't been vaccinated. So, yeah. I mean, that that's sort of my job to to make to, clear to, to what the point is, you yeah. know. But, I mean, if you were insulted by the notion of anti-vax, my apologies to you. But, well, I mean, well, it was it was well meant, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, but you see, it, it, it all comes back to the media. Everyone has been conditioned. Mm. And that's the condition we need to change, is these terms. Mm. Like, a lot of terms over the years have changed from horrible names that were put on people, you know, mm. which were racist uh, terms. And thankfully, we had those racist terms put behind us, because you can't say certain words anymore. People do take offence to them. So you think anti-vax needs to be taken out of the lexicon in some way, do you? I, I would think so, yeah. I yeah. think it's back to people's own choice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have to sort of say a word on behalf of this programme. I mean, by comparison to most programmes, we've tried to give a platform to to even people who felt that vaccination was not for them because yeah. I was often given out that there seemed to be a single narrative to COVID and to vaccination. Uh, over the last two years, I would agree, there was a single narrative. And if anyone came on with a different idea... Yeah. They were shut down. They were conspiracy theorists. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah. They were. Yeah. They were demonized. Yeah. Yeah. And would you like to talk to me about your particular uh, stand on vaccination? Were, were you vaccinated yourself, Richie? Or can I, can I even ask you that? Well, I think that's another thing that needs to go because that should be a private affair, like I say, between you, your family, and possibly your GP. Yeah. No one asks, uh, have you been... Um, investigated for AIDS or chlamydia or any of these things. No one asked those questions because they're deemed so personal. Yeah. I think it's the same thing with any vaccine. It's a personal view or someone wants it or they don't want it. Well, I suppose my point to you there wasn't quite to be nosy, but you're just very passionate about this and I was just wondering where, where that stemmed from, really. Was it because people were asking you, as I asked you, uh, about your own yeah. situation, was it? Was yeah, that it? and I've always refused to give that. Um, yes. Because I saw it as a slippery road. Right. As in... And you wouldn't see it, Richie, as an opportunity to say, well, look, I decided not to get vaccinated because... You, you wouldn't see that as an opportunity, no? It is an opportunity. Uh, but, you know, thank God this thing is over mm. with the green passports that were so um must the word you use um uh, they were oh I, the, the word has gone mm. off the top of my head there now you know you but, mean they um, interfered with our rights is that it well that too yeah, yeah. but there were, there were I know plenty of people out there who had other issues with their health and they made their decision mm whether they want us or not. And some people were, were bullied. Appointments were made on their behalf and everything to to keep vaccinating people, you know? When we look back at it all, we, we, we might need to give it a bit more time, but when we finally look back at it all in a kind of a a reflective way, um, yeah. do, you, do you think a lot will emerge, Richie? Do you think? I, I think a lot will emerge in the next couple of years as to this vaccination program. You know, I think a lot will emerge. I don't think people right now are ready, mm. you know, to hear the truth of what has really happened, you know? And, and maybe that's a story for another day. Of course, yeah. But still a lot of the experts, I mean, you hear them on this program, will still tell you that vaccination is is the only way to stop us from ending up in unfortunate situations in hospitals and the like, you know? Well, I agree with vaccination for an awful lot of things. Mm. But if we were to go back to the beginning over two years ago, they mm. all claimed this was an experimental vaccine. And it's still experimental, and it will be 
until an investigation is conducted to see was it safe for people or unsafe for people. And until then, we all have to wait until these findings are coming out. What do you think the result of those findings will be? My personal view, uh, I, I think they've been detrimental to people. That in my view. And you, do you believe it has saved lives, for example? Well, without being disrespectful to people, I have followed RIP.ie for quite a while. And the amount of sudden deaths are astounding. Young people just drop under the floor. Mainstream media are doing their best to normalise it by putting it into TV programmes. It's like a, a form of brainwashing to say this is normal, that people are having heart attacks and dropping to the ground. It's happening more and more and more. But I don't think people want to hear the truth. They don't want to know. We were fooled, we were conned. And, I mean, if that is the case, why do you think that our doctors and our scientists are still at this stage, advising us to be vaccinated? and Well, I suppose we all could say politicians can be bought and sold. Healthcare is another system that can be bought and sold. I think people were terrified of losing their licences to practice. They went with it. There's lots of GPs out there that have refused to vaccinate people and had to go to other clinics. Like we still have to go back to the same word, experimental. It doesn't suit all GPs or anyone to, to um, inject this. They might be fully happy to do so. And you think when it's looked back on that we'll we'll discover some of this? Is that, is that what you're saying to me, Richie? I think there is something to be discovered, yes. Mm. I can only go by my own experiences from what I can been reading, say, like I said, RIP.E, you and, know. And but you see, what, what you're reading is, it, it, it's what you're making of this, but I mean, statistically and stuff, you don't have actual data to back that up, do you? Well, the only data, I can't remember which newspaper it was on, but I did read, I think from the month of July, an increase of debt was over 16%. So if there's a rise of 16% and we're non-pandemic, Something has to be causing a 16% increase of pre-2020 debt rate. Mm. You know, and that's from a mainstream newspaper. So, I mean, from from what you're saying to me, I mean, could I put it to you, for example, that if the vaccination was that not there, would we not be looking at a, a, a really, really high death rate? You don't, don't believe that, so. do you? No, I wouldn't think so, no. Um, like natural immunity will deal with an awful lot. There, there is people out there mm. that won't make it, but I suppose people would call that survival of the fittest. That's not me saying it, but I'm just saying that was always a statement going, the survival of the fittest. Oh, that's that's tough talk now. It is tough talk, but there's people out there that always got the winter flu mm. long before COVID, and they were wiped out over a flu. The only thing I'd say to you is that there's people coming on here that are people I would know and respect and, you know, the credentials are, are gold standard and stuff, and they're, they're telling me otherwise, Richie, so... Yeah. You know, well, I... Well, I think 
there should be an investigation. Mm. And let's have an investigation. And I would give anything to be proven wrong. And I do mean that. Prove me wrong. Well, I'd rather have an investigation. Right. Have autopsies, whatever we need for sudden deaths, and get to the bottom of it. The, the, the blood clots that the doctors are finding now in surgeries are finding blood clots that are absolutely massive and huge. They've never seen the like of them. Mm. You know? And all, right. all this information is out there. It is put up by accredited doctors. Photographs have shown these uh, blockages. All right. But you see, you know, unless we see that in terms of proper scientific data that has been tried and trusted, uh, tested yeah. and put out there, Richie. You that's know, what I'd be saying. Yeah. Let's so have that's, an what, that's what you're calling for, is it? Well, this is where the conversation has gone over the yeah. course of the last 10 minutes. We've yeah. gone down this way. Right. But, that, but you are calling I, I for not, that sort of. I will call for an investigation and maybe have the system halted. Till right. we get an investigation. And, and you'd like to be proven wrong about this. Oh, yeah, I want to be proven wrong. Okay. I don't think I will be. But I would like to be proven wrong. All right, Richie. And if I was proven wrong, I'll come back and I'll apologise all day and all night. But while we still have freedom of speech, we have to use that and call for an investigation. All right. And if there is something wrong, we need to bring people to account. Richie, good to talk to you today. And thank you. Thank you for coming on with me. Thank you and good morning to you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Richie speaking to us today. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Now we're going back to the farmhouses and that uh, grant that's being made available to people. And uh, Pat uh, joins me. Pat, good morning to you. Morning, Fran, and to your listeners. Uh, you were listening to Peter earlier on and uh, you were the Pat I made reference to in terms of... Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't having a go uh, directly at Peter. I was right. just having a go at the whole political and the whole system they work with and I think that was highlighted with Robert Troy and we saw there that Robert Troy was inside looking for more for landlords and that and this is what I was basically getting at and what I, I suppose what I want to say with the budget coming up tomorrow I don't want to see that type of politics coming in tomorrow that, oh, yes, we're going to help the people renting now. And what they're actually doing is indirectly helping the robber tribes. So what we need to see is money in people. Well, now, when you're making reference, to, let's just be clear about that. You're talking about the landlord classes. I'm that, talking about the landlords and the type of um, politics that Robert represented <laughs> and, and that went on in this country and mm. that have people in the situation they're in that they're not even able to afford the rent and they're under severe pressure financially. So what, what what I was highlighting with Peter is we need to move away from this myself and I type of politics. And you can see with the Robert tries and 60% of the politicians in this country, the only thing they're interested is in the pocket. Okay, that's bottom line. And the bottom, the, where I really have a problem with this is the, is the political platform that we have created in this country, um, it's not working. And I said this before on the show, it's not working for people. People at the pin of their collar. And they'll come up with 200 euro. And you saw it there in the past. Mm. This is only, as I said to you before, putting a stick and plaster on the problem. We need to see money in people's pocket. And as I said on this programme before, um, we need to see the people that are putting in the effort to go to work every day, that they are rewarded. And I hope this will be reflected in the budget tomorrow, that the people that are, are 
least really struggling and really need this that they can mm. see. And like I said this to people... Well, we already have a good idea, Pat, about what's going to happen tomorrow. And, uh, you know, what about what you've heard so far, for example? I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. It's 10 billion, you know? Now, what I'm hearing there is that the Bertie Bowl is going to be coming out big time tomorrow. Um, this is what uh, Bertie... We, you, it, uh, got a, Bertie was on programmes and they tried to get in the, the financial situation the country was in after and I think this is what's going to come out tomorrow big time they're going to fire money right left and centre at everything mm. and as I said this is to buy votes and buy popularity but the only way and what I'm trying to get at this morning here the only way they'll b- build trust and popularity and that people will vote from at the next election is if people can see that there's genuine commitment to deal and tackle with the issues the only thing Not I'd say to you is that I, I, I think you're right I think everybody needs a bailout at this time, but I would caution um, care here because is it was it about 1979? We we tried to buy our way out of very difficult times, and we ended up with the whole decade of the 80s where we had emigration, no employment, real difficulties. You, you know? see, and like I spoke to you before, and thankfully for this program, and even with the person before, it's great that people are allowed to express their views, whether you agree with them or you don't. And this is what was wrong with the media for years: is the likes of me and the likes of people could not come on and say this. Mm. Uh, there's this model and this political model that I am talking about that we have got ourselves into, this was because of the past media we have. Mm. And thankfully with programmes like Tip FM, people are able to come on and give their views and whether they're right or wrong, they're given a view and it's out there and it's in it's there to be discussed. And I say that's what I'm coming on here this morning. And it, what about it, the old PD line that we are where we are now? So how do we turn this in 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 We turn as if we get away from the politics that I was talking about earlier me, myself and I. Right, but um, how, how do you do that? I mean, We do that by basically saying to these political parties, if you keep going down the road you're going, you will not get the votes. And to be honest with you, uh, uh, the next election, I, I'm, I'm not looking, the signs are not good either because I've heard discussions and when I've heard discussions from other parties they're talking about freezing things and they're talking about bringing it back to 2021. This, this is total nonsense and they're talking about affordable housing, 230,000 we need to start getting back to basics and we need to start putting money in people's pocket and then the people that are going out to work, they need to be rewarded and they need to see that this mm. government is there for them and it's there to reward them and the hard work they're putting in, that it's all um, coming to pass. What did you make of the listener who texted in, I'm not sure if you heard, but said both of them are wor- working, they sat down with neighbours both of whom are not working. They did a tally, and the people who weren't working were 200 and something euro better off at the end of the month. Well, I get 15 years delivering the pubs, and I never realised the fellow waiting at the door in the morning. He was the fellow better off, and he was still there at closing time, and I dare bust me but all day long. So this has gone back a long time, and as I said, unfortunately, it's populist politics. But like where I'm coming at, and you probably hear me talking about it, I want to see politics that's working for the people, mm. the, the, pe- the people are putting in the effort. But the sure, is, isn't that Leo's line, that he, he, he was backing the people who, who got up that, early in the morning? come about. So Leo is one man and I spoke 
highly of him in the past, but unfortunately he's part of a party. And Leo might say this and might want this, but as I said, there's a party there. Um, so this has developed over years. We have went down this road. Um, as I said to before, people weren't educated enough. And what happened as well is uh, when I started even working in the 70s and into the 80s, the country was booming. So we didn't even have time to think of the stuff that's gone on. But some of the, the country is, wasn't booming in the in the seventies. Well, there was work there. I, I remember well, not in the nineteen eighties, Pat. Well, I remember there you could walk out of one job and into another. So there was work there, and as I said, um, it was the late eighties. This started to all crumble, maybe. Um, but like this. Um, political model and like I was saying about Labour there and the pastors of my party, this is not down to Alan Kelly, it's not even down to Brendan Howland losing track of the working class this is way back, leaders way back uh, that Labour just lost that and Labour were actually the, the party that would dare to instil this, what I'm talking about the working class, uh, proper rights, a decent wage for a decent day's work, this was all the Labour thing and unfortunately that politics was eroded when they got in with others in government and unfortunately... No, they would say to you, as you well know, they got into government at a very, very difficult time and very hard decisions had to be made at that time. Hard decisions had to be made, but like you're talking about, um, I know hard decisions that have to be made even tomorrow, um, but like we need to get a balance. We need to start to see, is this decision um, necessary? And we need to start saying, well, if I make this decision, um, it's going to impact on certain sectors of society, but overall, are people going to look at that this was the best political uh, decision to make, that this was, there was a lot of thinking in this, this is needs to be done, and if people can see that they'll go along with it. But if people see decisions tomorrow that's not working out, that's not in their favour, that's making them worse off, they're going out to work every day and no better off. We need to start to see uh, people, I believe... Right, um, uh, but you also have to look after your pensioners and you have to look after your carers and you have to look after people at the bottom end of the economy, uh, you know, that has to be taken into account as well. It has to be taken into account, but as I said, the people that pay for all this, and if this is rightly done, is the people that are going out to work every day and paying their taxes. This will pay into and and, and um, right. But in in people. real in real politic, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, there's going to be an element of populism in in, in the same. Oh, there is, and that's what I don't want to see. And like, I don't want to be coming. Yeah, but it's going to be right? there. But you know, it's going to be there, Pat. It is, and like the dirty ball is coming out. And even old people often said to me he was great, he gave us all a fiver and that mm. and the country broke, you know. So like that politics um, worked for that sector and they said great and they're talking mm. about bringing Bertie back, I said, with the bowl. But um, we need to start seeing politics. And I said this before, we need to start seeing politics that we can all uh, look on and see that this was... We need to see competent yeah. politicians. But, but look, look look, around Europe. Even. Look, look at what's happening in Italy at the moment, that people are looking to the far right now because things are so difficult for them, you know? I think, to be honest with you, people don't really know what way to go on. They're going down and they're talking about it at the next election and they're going down um, now... Um, there's stuff happening in politics and I was delighted even in the likes of energy there was a thing knocked in Shannon there but what this turned out to be is an, um, a company setting up a private company setting up this is the gas into fines you're, you're, yeah, you're talking bringing about, natural yeah. gas from America and basically wholesalers so this was going to be uh, set up to basically uh, money um, hmm. thing and like we so you agree with the Greens on that do you? 
Uh, the Greens uh, spoke out badly about it and unfortunately there's 4.1 million gone into Kerry County Council that they're looking for back so I, I'd say the chances are slim so <laughs> I don't know so. Alright Pat it's always good to talk to you and thanks for your time this morning Pat okay, thank, thank you thank you, you. bye bye to you now that's uh, Pat how do you feel about that 1800 news and information's on the way Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Lots and lots of uh, text and WhatsApp coming into us. We'll uh, put it all together and I'll bring it to you in just a little while. But right now, it's time for this. Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.ie. FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Uh, Francis O'Hanlon from FOH joining me in studio. Francis, good morning to Hi, you. Hi, Fran. Certainly a lot of talk about finance and pensions and all sorts no, of stuff going on. No, isn't it wonderful? Just wonderful indeed. I think we're going to start with a question, though, one that yeah. we, we held over. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I can make head or tail of this, but maybe you can. Do I have to pay tax on income from a rented house and I renting a house myself? Yeah, I think what this person is saying is they're renting out a house, but they're also renting a house themselves as their own home and they're basically saying in light of the fact that they're even though they're renting out a house and getting an income from it um they're assuming i i think that they don't have to right. uh declare that tax as they're renting out a so house it might be themselves. negated in some way but, yeah uh, so i'm saying no you do have to uh file a tax return on that income and you know that's the short answer um if you want a slightly longer one and you have you know rtb tenancy registration board um obligations and all of the other obligations that go with being a landlord so they just happen to be a tenant on their personal side and a landlord in on the other side so um yeah but look the thing to remember here is if they're paying interest on the property that they're renting out on a mortgage, um, they can offset 100% of that against rental income, plus maybe life cover, fire cover, certain, you know, maintenance costs. Um, after that, any residual that's left, then they're taxed at their own rate of tax. But they are obliged to do all of the above right. as if somebody, back to the magic 11 number, you know, if somebody has 11 properties or somebody has one property, they're obliged, they have obligations as a landlord. Right. I'm sure there's a very good reason for it, but you'd wonder why somebody would rent if they own a property. Yeah, it could be simply that... Um, Space or yeah, like that. Well, it might be that the house is too big for them Yeah. and that they can get an income from that, that three-bedroom property where they're living in a one-bed apartment yeah. or something like that. Um, and it might be that they're at a point where they still maybe are in negative equity and, oh, there's many reasons. Um, and maybe just one thing to add, 
though I'm not promising this, um, from what we're hearing on Budget 23, which is due out tomorrow, um, there may be some relief for renters. Mm. So for tenants, that was there. I think there was a 1500 relief of old and then they removed it, I think around 2017 or 18. Now there's talks of something coming back. Um, so, so, be, so watch the space. As possibly, much as what yeah, for that, yeah. that particular individual so it might help. Speaking of tomorrow then, um, Budget 2023, mm. um, the, the expectation there that it will deal with our cost of living crisis and all Yeah, I think in the main... Can, can it possibly deal with all no, of it? Sure it can't because yeah. it's a movable feast. You know, it, it, they can deal with it the best that they can because it's a snapshot in time. To be honest, even all the figures and the numbers that they've done are history probably, even if they were see, signed and sealed as late as last night um, because it's literally moving. It's constantly... It's in a state of flux mm. and because of that... They can't nail it down. They couldn't possibly be expected but to. Ten billion, Francis. Mm. It's it's eye watering, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, from what I'm hearing, and again, who knows until the detail comes out tomorrow. They're talking about a six hundred euros per person or per household credit um, for, for energy. energy. Yeah. Like, That's over a three month. Yeah, again, or, or three I, three sections. Yeah. You know, it's it's just. It's the most bizarre time at the moment and uh, like no real end in sight. Um, the expectation is that the energy crisis is probably going to go in deep into next year as well. Um, so I think, you know, here we are at this crossroads of the acceleration of alternatives, um, mm. wind energy and whatever it's, else. It's the last thing that people who are struggling want to hear. But for the sake of conversation, is there a danger in trying to buy yourself out of a situation. Yeah, of course there is, because I mean, the piper has to be paid at some stage. Um, and I think there, if if we look at our friends across the water, that's the big concern about the budget that they came out, came out with on Friday. Everyone's saying, mm. you know, this is bananas. Well, look at where stuff. sterling is now. Absolutely. Of, you know? Plummeted yeah. this morning. Um, so, look, it has to be paid back somehow, some someday. Um, so again, but again, it's a very the government. They have to do something mm. to help people. But I do think it needs to be targeted um, at people who really need it. Right, and that energy uh, subsidy you're talking about is for everybody, isn't it? Y- right yeah. Again, board, yeah. we're we're waiting on the detail, but yeah. it sounds like it is. Um, but again, let's not take away from the middle. Mm. You know, the people in the middle are struggling as well. Mm. Now they've rising mortgage interest rates as well. So, you know, I don't think there's anybody isn't touched by this in some way. So I suppose they're trying to direct it to everybody, to give everybody something. But there's other measures. I think maybe what we'll do is have a look at that as it comes out tomorrow. As it comes out, And look, hopefully it'll give people some relief because some people are really, really stressed about this. They really are. It's interesting. You mentioned mortgages there. Mm. What about tracker mortgages at this point? Look, again, I just want people... We've always said you are individual and we're not just saying that to butter you up or whatever. Mm. You are individual. Your financial circumstances are individual. So I'm hearing an awful lot of people shouting, you know, tracker surrender at the moment. Oh, you know, get rid of your tracker. Just be careful, is all I'm saying. You know, this was the much treasured Mm. and hugely envied. If you had one, you'd be saying, oh, well, I have a tracker. (laughs) Well, I did hear people saying that. I'm lucky I have a tracker. And other people fit to scream um, who were maybe sitting opposite. And they were very controversial. Remember, they cost the banks 
well, cost everyone. We're going into millions and millions for the the controversy that was around Mm. them. So I know rates have gone up by 1.25% and I'm not taking away from that and they will go up further. Just be careful about what you're giving up because if you give up your tracker rate, it's gone. Mm. Okay. When inflation cools, eventually rates will come down again. So you have to look at your own individual situation and think. That's all I'm asking you to do because... The last of the trackers was probably 2008. And even if you took the longest term at that point, you probably have around 21 years left in your mortgage at the moment. Right. I We were always asking people to make hay while the sun was shining on tracker rates. You know, anyone that had them had ridiculously low rates for well over a decade. So I would hope the majority of people made the most of that. But possibly some didn't because it might have been that they were in difficulty mm. financially. So... I just think be careful. Look at your circumstances now. A tracker is a variable rate which allows you pay extra, you know, if you want to. Just be careful before you give it up. Right. Just think on. Um, so again, you're, you're talking about independent advice on uh, this, aren't look, you? Look, I'm forever yes. saying that. And I again, know, people yeah. say, of course, yeah, she's of going course to say that. But I am it. saying it because, you know, everybody's circumstances are different. Like, for example, I had somebody the other day that we, they upgraded their house, they changed, they moved house, so they've part of their mortgage tracker and they've part of it fixed. So what we're doing is we're dealing with, um, we're leaving the tracker be, mm. okay, because it's a variable he would hope to be able to pay that down at a p- faster rate over time. So we're leaving that as is. But again, please don't take that as uh, as a, a template that was very that was prescribed by me based on his circumstances and me looking at the bigger picture and down around the corner and over the hill and past the hair point bend you know yes. that it's down to individuals but just i'm just saying be careful because once you give it up it's gone if we're to look at what's happening in america though are we not looking at the possibility of interest rates over the next year, um, higher again. Here. Yeah, absolutely. I to, do think to they fight will. inflation and so on. I way. do think they will, but again, once they get inflation, this is if we're looking towards the European Central Bank and their mantra about inflation mm. and whatever it be. You would hope once they get inflation under control that there may be some reprieve then in that they're reducing the interest rate hikes. They're, they've increased them. Like when you consider interest rates were so low. For, at zero, pretty mm. much, for so long. They're increasing at the moment because of inflation. Yes. So you would hope as that um, threat recedes that they might decrease them. Mm. So, again, but I do think there's a bit of time to play. I'm just saying to people, be careful, Fran. Just a lot of people jumping, you know, a lot of people jumping of old to fix. And we were saying all the way along, hold, 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 fix now. Yes. You know, because an awful lot of people that fixed two years ago for five or ten years might be locked into, to, you know, fairly high, relatively high rates. And it might be that some of those people that fixed for two or three years are now coming out into the eye of the storm. So you just have to know it's, it's your a, own... It's a minefield, isn't yeah, it? It really absolutely. is a minefield. Will you tell? Uh, talk to me a little bit about the state pension because we're talking about the reform here. Mm. And it's an interesting one, what's happening. I mean, it's going to stay at 65, but... Yeah, it's going to stay at 66. 66, I beg your pardon. Yeah, but. no problem. Yes. Um, so, but, you know, and again, we've, we've spoken about this on numerous occasions, yes. you know, where we were saying before, not kind of 
justifying what the government were thinking about at the time, but we were saying we, ca- as a state, we can't afford the state pension in its current format. Mm. Um, remember hearing a figure that PRSI rates would have to go to 27% to maintain the state pension as it was about four years ago. And then the government made moves where they were going to increase the retirement age to 68. And, you know, and I think even I myself said, you know, maybe look at a staggered um, approach where people can retire later if they want. Um, And now all of a sudden that's what we're getting but with increased PRSI. So again, the piper has to be paid. We're back to this again. So they're allowing people to retire anywhere after 66. And the the later, you de- the longer you defer that to, the higher that right. figure will be. But 70 but, is a cutoff. 70 is a cutoff. Okay. But, you know, a few other things to consider. There's some good things in that they're now going to introduce a pension for carers. They're going to give some credit for carers. Um, and also, I think, an extended um, factor. I think they're going to allow 20 years now between carers and maybe being at home. Say somebody who was at home with young children and then all of a sudden they're looking after maybe elderly parents or a partner or whatever it be. They're going to extend what they'll allow for that. But interestingly enough, they're going to step away from... You know, <clears throat> excuse me, we spoke before about how they assessed the state pension mm. that they were looking at an averaging and they were also looking at having a maximum amount of stamp. They're, event- they're gradually from 2024 going to step away from the averaging and it's going to be all about the stamp. Right. In other words, for you to get the full state pension, be it that you go with 66 or 70, you will have to have 40 years. Okay, now that's going to phase in from 2024. So anyone that has less than that won't get the full state pension. They'll be giving them a little less. Again, hear what I'm saying? This is coming in from 24. And and just what you referred to previously, Mm. which is the people who wouldn't have had the stamp for those years that you were talking about. I mean, how will they fare with this? Again, devil's in the detail. Fran, you know, that's everybody was shouting, saying they wanted this and they wanted people to stay at 66. Again, there's a price for this and the price is going to be the most obvious one that I saw that we can grab onto at the moment is that PRSI rates are going to go up. I think they were saying for somebody earning 50,000 is going to be maybe up around 1,200 euros a year PRSI. That's substantial. Here we are talking about interest rate hikes and, you know, cost of living crisis and then all of a sudden we're talking about PRSI hikes that maybe would take another 1,200 euros a year um, off you. So there'll be a price for this. But I I think there's a few other things that need to be considered. Um, Interestingly, they're going to, they're talking about introducing a stamp statement. That's maybe not what it's going to be called. So every year they'll be reminding you what stamp level you have. So that very much tells me that this is going to be about the 40 years so that you can say, oh, I'm only in line to have 32 years stamps. I'm going to have to continue you know, working maybe a little bit longer. At the moment, you don't pay PRSI from 66 on, right? But I know you're going to pay PRSI, I expect, based on what I've read, in that they're saying it will give people the chance that don't have the 40 years at 66 to work on and then increase their stamp. So that to me says the I expect. Now please <laughs> don't don't hold me to this. I expect reading between the lines, PRSI is going to be introduced 
from age 66 wow. on. Wow. Because how could you increase your, your rate otherwise? I suppose you pose the question yourself as well, if you defer and you die before you reach the deferred age. Yes, you're not going to get it. So, I mean, if you consider um, people who get the state pension at the moment, it might be, say there was a partner that was maybe 61 or 62. At the moment, say their partner's in receipt of the, the state pension, then they get... Um, technically what was is a widow's pension mm. up to the point where they reach retirement age and then it becomes just the one payment okay they don't get their state pension and the widow's pension so i just think people again like the tracker mm. i think people will need to seek advice in so, relation so, to this okay let me put you on the spot mm. then i mean would you defer i mean i don't mean you personally but i mean would your advice be to defer or not again defer? Depending on somebody's circumstances, I would say somebody need to be careful. So say, let me put it this way. Say somebody has a personal pension, Mm. right? Now, anyone in an occupational pension probably won't have the luxury of deferring. Mm. Oh, I don't need that at 65. There's possible ways, but let's not get into that at the moment. But say somebody has a personal pension and they have 50,000 in it and they get to 66. If they defer their state pension right, to 70 and they die, they're not going to get, you know, the state pension, their state pension entitlement, I would say, would be gone, okay? Right. But if they deferred accessing their personal pension, which they can do, some up to 70, even 75, and if they take the state pension at 66 and then they die, at least the personal pension is there for their next of kin or for their estate. So again, one size doesn't fit all. If it doesn't, Sorry, if one size doesn't fit all in general terms, it definitely doesn't. It's bespoke tailoring when it comes to pensions. That brings up an interesting question, though. I mean, if you had a private pension and you decided to take your state pension and let the private pension sort of trundle on and make money, do you do you have a tax obligation on that if no, you just no, leave it aside? No. Remember, there's no tax <clears throat> obligation as a pension is accumulating. Okay. Um, or e- even indeed, if it's after pension age. Yeah, even oh. even after retirement, if it's in an ARF, an approved retirement fund or whatever, it's only the income that comes off it Yes, that is taxable. And that's only when you take it down? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you have a personal pension that's worth 100000 at at 66 and you take 25% of it and you have a residual balance of 75000 you must take 4% per annum. Okay? That 4% per annum is taxable but the 75,000 that's in the ARF still grows tax-free. If you don't access the pension, some people, you don't have to access a pension at 66. Personal, now again, Mm. please be careful here. I'm not, you know, I don't want people running in the doors of their occupational pension scheme Mm. saying, I don't have to take that. But again, you can let, leave a pension sometimes intact as long as 75 Mm. where you don't have to access it. Therefore, you're not drawing an income off it and it's continuing to grow tax-free. But 75, regardless, is cut off or else the government will step in and take 40%. Oh, that came in in the finance bill about three or four years ago. Oh, Lord. (laughs) All all right. It is pension season, of course. And before we go on with that, I was just reading in the paper today, uh, two... Uh, two companies coming into the market now. I think it is a Vanguard in uh, Royal London. Yeah, uh, coming isn't in. that great? 
Is, is that great? Well, well look, I mean, any, any competition is great. I mean, we're saying, oh my God, KBC and the Ulster Bank are, are leaving. Less competition. Yes. You know, probably two main banks, we'll say three main banks left in the, in the, in the Irish state, a few other peripheral providers. I mean, lack of competition, lack of choice. This is about this is two new entrants coming into the Irish market, happy days, right. that are going to give more choice. And, and at this particular time, Francis, when, I mean, pensions must be really struggling, are they? Because, I mean, look around the world at what's happening with... Yeah, fun, like, I mean, again, back to it, we've always said funds, Long there's term, always yeah. going to be vol- yeah. <coughs> excuse me, volatility in funds, in markets. What it is about is you knowing your timeline and your attitude yes. to risk. So... If somebody can come in and provide a pension at a lower level um, and give you the returns, uh, sorry, at a lower level of cost, be it management fee or the amount that's being paid in, happy days. And and it just shows that obviously the Irish market is seen as competitive uh, and it's seen as a place to be when it comes to pensions. Uh, ironically, not seen a place to be from a banking point of view because we have had no new entrants. It's interesting indeed. What do we need to keep in mind with this pension season then, for instance? Okay, so look, dates, dates, dates. Um, mm. But I suppose 31st of October, if you're going to make a personal uh, pension contribution, be that personal or an AVC, which is somebody that's in a group pension, you have to do that by the 31st of October and make sure that you let the revenue know that you've done that. Um, if you complete an online return for the self-employed, basically, um, if you're making an online ter- return via Ross, then you've got to the 16th of November. But please remember, um, that's kind of, that's the last, of the last, last day. You know, don't leave it that long. Mm. Um, if you're going to make a contribution, if you're making it by electronic fund transfer, for, I would say allow five working days for the company to receive it. And if it's a thing you're making it by cheque, you know, make your contribution well before the 16th or well before the 31st if you can. Just to, to know that it's in there, that it's been received because sometimes stuff happens, especially course, when you're sending yes. payments on. You, you're also making an interesting point, and I know that people are struggling out there, but, I mean, you have to question, could you live on the state pension? No, I mean, let, let's just look at the figure at the moment of 25330. Yeah. You know, OK, there might be some fuel allowance or whatever it be. It is really, really hard for somebody to manage. If it's a thing that there's two retired in the household then okay, it's a little bit easier, possibly. Not, you know, still not fantastic by any means. But where I see the problem is sometimes if if one spouse um, passes away, then the remaining spouse is just left with one state pension. Yes, two And and possibly a living alone allowance, but it's really, really hard to manage on that kind of money because normally they don't have the luxury of saying, oh, well... Uh, you know what, I think I'm going to work some overtime or I think, you know mm. what, I think I might go abroad for mm. a year and work. Mm. It's a different stage of life. So it's hard um, for people to manage on that. So I'd say, you know, if you can make pension contributions whilst you're working, do right. it. You're going to be forced to do so, by the way, from January 24, auto enrolments on the way. So that now with the combination of what they're doing on the state pension It'll be you know, interesting. And just remind people again about that benefit of taking out the pension and what, what you can actually say. So look, if you're a high rate taxpayer, 
So that's that. Let's say that you're paying forty percent on most of your income. Um, basically, for every euro you put in, you're getting forty cent back off the revenue. I mean, what's not to like? Mm. And if you're lower rate, if you're low rate, then it's twenty cent. Obviously, you're paying twenty percent, and you're getting twenty cent back. So, the the auto enrollment to be slightly different, but it's not here at the moment. For now, you know that. Right, that's and we a don't good know deal. the full detail That's a great return that. on your savings, no matter okay. what you invest in. Very good. I'm not sure how many of our listeners this would be relevant to, but do you want to talk to us about the executive pension? Oh, because yeah. there's a bit of an issue there, isn't Yeah, there, there is. And, and again, you know, there's always something, isn't there? Um, but again, I'm only going to mention this briefly for two reasons. One, in the main, it really only affects certain employees and companies or directors, right, who want to set up one person executive pensions right uh, and you know we've also always mentioned that directors have more scope mm. and basically the life com- all I can liken this to is the life companies are looking for a vaccine at the moment and that's the only way I can describe it because basically there was legislation um, an EU directive that the, the life companies misinterpreted and that's the only way that's the only explanation and Basically, the rules changed, but the way they were interpreting interpreting them, mm. the pensions authority didn't agree. Okay, so how the pe- did they get it so wrong? I don't know. Fran. <laughs> Let's wait and see. Yeah. They would. They had. They were all of the one mindset. Um, mm. But the pensions authority had a whole different mindset. So basically, they kind of stepped in and said, "You know, you're not issuing any more executive pension contracts until." This is sorted. That was right. from July. And the ones that were issued? Yeah, that's okay. okay. I'm going to say okay within reason. Okay. Yeah. I would say up to, I think it's April 21, they were absolutely okay. Maybe a little bit of grey area from April 21. There needs to be a bit of housekeeping done around those. But since then, there's no new executive pension contracts being issued. It leaves a few people in limbo, especially company directors that maybe didn't have an executive pension set up. So they're going to have to find a solution. They are scrambling around to do that at the moment. There's been talk of master trusts around the new auto enrolment that are coming in, and that possibly might be one of the solutions. So, again, you know, watch this space. Um, the, the bog... That is pensions. <laughs> <laughs> Francis, it's always good to talk to you. If people want your advice, Francis, how, how can they make Well, they can go to our you? website, www.foh.ie, or they can contact the office, 052 All right, well, always good to talk to you, Francis. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, we'll take a break. We're back with more. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Well, uh, with all that's happening around the world, it's only right we speak about global uh, politics right now. And I'm delighted uh, to be joined by politics and economics student, uh, Tipperary man, uh, Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Good to see you today. We have to start with the Italian uh, general election. I alluded to this earlier on when I was speaking to uh, Francis. It's fascinating what's going on there, isn't it? It's fascinating. It's the only story in town, really, from an international perspective today. And it's remarkable, really, when you, you know, the 
the polls were, were broadly accurate. It looks like Italy is going to have its first far-right leader, its first female uh, Prime Minister, and her name is going to be Georgia Maloney. And I have to say, I, I was reading a couple of profiles on her during the week. She is a fascinating character. Now, just to go over it, I mean, the reason she's going to be catapulted into power is she's expected to form a right-wing coalition with two other parties. She leads a party called the Brothers of Italy, which she formed herself in 2012, and she's expected uh, to form a government with uh, the Northern League, a party led by Matteo Salvini. People might be familiar with him, sure. and people will definitely be familiar with Silvio Berlusconi, who uh, who is still hanging around at, I think, 86 years of age My now, uh, his Forza Italia party. So they're expected to... Uh, the Brothers of Italy garnered 26% uh, in or around that. That's the estimate in the election. And they're expected to form a right-wing coalition. She will be Italy's first far-right leader since Benito Mussolini. And when you say when you say that, it is kind of extraordinary, isn't it? Isn't it just? And they have sort of short memories. But I suppose, is this all born out of the fact, similar enough to here, Italy, uh, you, you know, I mean, with the the cost of energy, with, uh, you know, price hikes on everything, is that is that what's driving this? That is the thing. And you see, Italy had been under a unity government uh, led by Mario Draghi, which yes. unfortunately collapsed last July. Now, interestingly, Giorgia Maloney and the Brothers of Italy were the only party not to partake in that unity government. So that is, I suppose, part of the reason for their popularity this time round. They were able to brand themselves as anti-establishment opponents of the government and Mm. by all accounts they flourished. You know, the Italians... And will you explain to listeners how far they've come in such a short time? Was it from 4%? 4% in 2018, just 4% of the vote, and they're now expected to to become the largest party to take around 26% of the vote this time. So that is a a meteoric rise. Mm. Uh, And she herself has had a meteoric rise as well. She, you know, her background in politics is interesting. She joined kind of a far-right movement when she was a student, was involved in student politics. She subsequently uh, went into government under Silvio Berlusconi and was actually Italy's youngest ever minister uh, back in 2008. And following the collapse of that government, she formed the Brothers of Italy in 2012 and has gone on. Now, admittedly, it's taken a bit of time because, as we say, 4% in 2018. But it's only in the past couple of months that the party has really rose to prominence uh, and mm. flourished. And she denies Thomas being fascist. She denies being fascist. Yes. And, and she's made a couple of kind of very ambiguous comments. She she claims to identify with Mussolini's successors. Yes. Whatever that what, kind of what means. What does that mean? I, I'm not entirely sure. Right. Because, I mean, her, her campaign manifesto, she endorses a lot of conventional kind of far-right policies. You know, she's campaigned against abortion and LGBT rights sounded warnings about the the number of immigrants, in particular Mm. Muslim immigrants entering Italy. And she's promised to to renegotiate uh, Italy's massive EU COVID recovery plan. Mm. Now, I I think the most interesting part of it, though, is she's been quite unequivocal in her support for Ukraine and NATO. You know, she has condemned the Russian invasion, which is interesting because her prospective coalition partners Berlusconi, Berlusconi yeah. in particular haven't yeah. done so you know they've well, he's been a friend of Putin's, he's a friend yeah. of Putin they went yeah. on an infamous ski trip in in 2012 to Sochi he actually visited Crimea alongside Putin in 2015 
Um, so, you know, he is kind of a bromance going there. Similarly, Matteo Salvini, the leader of the other right-wing party, as I say, has been lukewarm on sanctions mm. uh, because he... he he sees them to, or he thinks they're affecting the Italian economy adversely. But she has been quite unequivocal in her support. She's condemned the invasion. Um, she she has been firm in her support for NATO mm. and for Ukraine throughout the whole thing. And she, I, I heard her on national radio this morning, and she was speaking moderately. But are they going to be a little nervous in Brussels? Do you think because of maybe possibly an anti-EU stance to some degree? Oh, they will be. They will be. I, I, and I was reading Tony Connolly's piece of RT over the weekend, and and there is certainly alarm be- bells ringing in Brussels. More so, I think, to do with some of the fiscal policies that she might endorse. I mentioned there that she wants to renegotiate EU uh, the EU COVID recovery plan. I mean, that has repercussions in Brussels. Italy has long been known for its fiscal incompetence, mm-hmm. shall we mm-hmm. say. Uh, you know, reckless yeah. spending and, and a huge, a huge public debt uh, and things like that. So, I mean, that is that is a consideration in um, in Brussels, certainly. And, and a lot of the European politicians will be quite wary. You look at this, you know, Eurosceptic parties, we have them in Hungary. We have Marine Le Pen in France. You know, her profile has risen in recent mm-hmm. years. And this, I suppose, is another is another example of that. It's going to be interesting. What is the choreography? That, uh, my understanding is the president has to call upon her to be prime minister. Is there any danger that he wouldn't? There is a slight... I mean, he, he, he has been seen to kind of intervene in the past. His name is Sergio Mattarella. Yes, because he tried to get uh, Mario Draghi to stay on, did he? He not? did. He yeah. did. He pushed Draghi to stay on. Draghi himself apparently wants to be president. Uh, but that's a story for another day. But certainly, yes, yeah... The the prime or the president has a little bit more authority, I think, than we'll say President Higgins would yes, have in yes. this country. But another interesting thing on the electoral system, they actually reformed the Italian electoral system in 2019. They've shrunk the parliament. So you had 400 deputies, uh, you have now 400 deputies elected to the chamber. That's down from 630. Uh, and now 200, and 200 senators down from 315. So, you know, a significant reduction in the number of politicians, but they obviously felt it was necessary. Uh, they use a combination of first-past-the-post and proportional representation. Um, so it is quite, there's an interesting dynamic there. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how how that turns out indeed. Now you made reference there to uh, the war in uh, Ukraine. Um, what what about the current situation there? Because I've, some of it is very worrying, isn't it? It is very worrying. I mean, there is no doubt that last week represented, I suppose, the, the most dramatic escalation since the actual invasion began on February 24th. We've had the referendums over the past few days in in those four eastern and southern Ukraine regions, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia. Um, And many think, and and I think they're probably right, that those votes will serve as, as a pretext for Putin trying to completely annex those territories. To claim it as Russian territory. To claim it as Russian yes. territory, as he did with Crimea. And of course... The consequences of that, you know, aside from, you know, it would be an illegal annexation, of course, Mm. but Putin can then claim that Russian territory is being attacked uh, by Ukraine, that it's being directly attacked. And I suppose... And that's a different ballgame. That's a different ballgame because, you know, Russian military doctrine, it allows the use of tactical nuclear weapons 
if the country's territorial integrity is under threat. So you can read between the lines mm. here and see the tactic that and he's Thomas, trying to the implement. the fact that nowhere else in the world would acknowledge that, does that, will, will that change his mind in some way? It no? doesn't seem to really impinge on Putin. I mean, I don't think very few places have acknowledged the cri- that, you know, he sees Crimea, Crimea as yeah. part of, you know, mo- most will say certainly in Europe that Crimea is still part of Ukraine, um, which, you know which to most eyes it is. Mm. So, I mean, a very interesting dynamic there. I mean, people, like, and, and people are starting to get very worried. There, there is no doubt. And that question is being floated around quite regularly. Could he actually use nuclear weapons? Could he use a tactical nuke to strike Ukraine? And, and it is potentially a devastating scenario. Well, of course, the result of that would be catastrophic when you when you think about it, I suppose, because NATO would probably definitely... Uh, well, NATO would have to come up with some sort of response, you yes. know. And, and I mean, it, it is hugely worrying. I don't think anybody can say, and I don't think Putin even knows himself. The one thing is, it, it, there is a hint of desperation to these, these latest tactics. Uh, you know, he's under increasing pressure, I think, in the Kremlin. There mm. there have been letters signed by local politicians demanding his resignation. We've seen the street protests in the last Absolutely, week. Yeah. And you the mobilisation now as well. Yeah, as... and the mobilisation, like 300,000 reservist troops. And, and the thing about reservist troops, they all have some kind of prior military experience. So he hasn't enforced conscription yet. And I think is reluctant to do so because in the past you had Russian conscripts sent to places like Chechnya and Afghanistan. A lot of them came home in coffins and that fueled a lot of anti-war sentiment. Yes. And I think the Kremlin are intent on avoiding that, if at all possible, because we, we see the number of, of, I suppose, disenchantment with the Kremlin or the level of disenchantment is growing. Uh, now, whether it will, be, it will be enough to topple Putin... Mm. But people are flooding out of the country, are they not? That is the know? thing. That yeah. is the thing, you know, and, you know, they're they're seeking asylum in other countries. I mean, you have Alexei Navalny from his, his prison cell. He, he's getting the message out to protest. I think myself, it is probably... The fact that there is no would-be successor there to Vladimir Putin... Uh, even from within his own circle, makes this scenario quite dangerous. Will you stay with me for a moment, Thomas, mm. because I must take a, a break, but I want to talk to you a little bit about Mexico as well. We'll be right back. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. The Imro Radio Award-winning TIP Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And it's our tip today goes global slot and uh, Thomas Conway is uh, with me. Just before we wrap up today, you're going to talk to us about uh, Mexico and the violence in Mexico and what's happening there. And I suppose the fact that it's it's really driven by, by the drugs trade. Uh. That's it indeed. You know, and the first thing to say is the president of Mexico, his name is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. They call him AMLO for short. He claims that the country is a country of tranquility, uh, of peace. Wow. Now, it would strike me that he, he, he is deluding himself there because the reality is very, very different. The reality is that there is a staggering level 
of violence in the country. And as you say, much of it emanates from from drug lords, drug cartels and gangs. But I, I was looking through I was looking through a couple of analysis papers on it and we, we kind of forget Mexico suffers for, for certain reasons. Its location, if you think about its location, it's located right above the kind of the infamous cocaine factories in the rainforests of we'll say Colombia, Bolivia, Peru, we all know Pablo Escobar and you know, his his cocaine narcos cartels, and narcos that, yeah. and all that. Yeah. So those drugs have to transit up through Mexico into the United States. So that is one thing. That's fueling it from the south. Then you have the United States, which is a country in which firearms, lethal firearms, circulate widely. And a lot of those we- weapons flow down across the border into Mexico. So you've kind of the convergence of these two forces and that creates... That, I suppose, creates an environment in which drugs and and violent criminality can flourish, can thrive. And that seems to be one of the, you know, one of Mexico's main problems. Mm. I mean... And that's not going to stop in the near future. So, I mean, what, if anything, can be done about this in Mexico? Yeah, I mean, past presidents, Felipe Calderon, he was in office in 2006 to 2012... He tried to tackle it. He, he launched a war on drugs. He had some success, not really. The current guy, Lopez Obrador, has, has reformed the police force. And the key really here is the police force. And you could probably apply the same to the United States because there's a lot of violence there as well. Funding the police, giving them adequate resources and ensuring they're properly trained because... A lot of, you know, a lot of police officers would engage in corruption with the drug cartels. They're paid off. And that is because... Because their own pay is so Yeah, bad. because they're underpaid yeah. by the government. You know, so that's a, that's a major thing. Also targeting the major, the major crime lords. And that's obviously easier said than done. But these gangs now, you know, as well as the volume of these gangs, I think they're... The stat is 255 criminal gangs operating in the country. But as well as their volume, their size, it's their sophistication. They're now driving armoured vehicles. They have weapon-carrying drones. They have all these resources at their disposal. It's all military-grade stuff. It's all military-grade stuff. So you need a police force or a security service that's capable of tackling that. And that is crucial if, if you're going to do that. And really, what does that require? Well, it requires money. It requires time. You're not going to fix the problem overnight. It also requires serious political will because there will be politicians who are also engaged in corruption with drug lords who are also getting paid off, particularly, I suppose, at local and regional level. Mm. But like it is worth saying, places like Mexico City have had a little bit of success in reducing crime and that's down to small things, paying police officers more, introducing street lighting, you know, which seems... Basic. Basic yeah. enough, basic enough, but can have an effect, I suppose. You know, it increases visibility in that. What, what is the murder rate there, and can you compare it for me? Yeah, so 28 per 100,000 people, that's four times the figure in the US. And I, I think this, this, this statistic is better, this next one. On average, some 25 people disappear in the country each day. Now, you would assume the most of them are killed, but 25 each Every day. Every day? Yeah. That that is, you know, it's a population of 129 million, I suppose, admittedly a big country, but that doesn't excuse it. So, you know, I mean, it, it is a really... Now, look, I mean, Mexico is a great country in other respects. We don't want to, 
you know, uh, we don't want to taint it too much, but there is no doubt criminality and violence is a huge problem. Um, we were going to speak about India, but we'll have to leave it till another time. But just uh, what to watch out for this uh, coming week? Yeah, so next Sunday, the Brazilian presidential election, Bolsonaro up against uh, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Uh, now, it's a two-round election, and those two will most likely emerge as the two leading candidates. Subsequent to that, the runoff vote will be held on October 30th. So this is pretty much a warm-up next Sunday. But it's still significant, and there are still um, seats in Parliament to be decided as well. Very interesting to see what direction the country takes. Won't it indeed? We'll have to look to number 10 as well, I guess. We'll have to look to number 10 because, I mean, we're we're adjusting, the UK is adjusting into the post-Elizabethan age now. You know, Liz Truss had kind of a baptism of fire with the with the death of the Queen and then she was at the, the, or, um, the, the United Nations last week. But, you know, back at home, things aren't great. The economy is stagnating. Prices are soaring. We've talked about the, the pound already the, the today. Toilet, yeah. So these next couple of weeks could determine, uh, you know, what kind of premier she is going to be. And finally then, winter is coming, the energy crisis. We have our budget tomorrow, but yeah. a lot of different European countries are introducing kind of radical new policies. So for anyone who's interested in kind of government policy in that, it'll be interesting to look across the, the global landscape to see what other governments do and can we learn from them. It'll be interesting. And as a young man studying economics, uh, this notion of a big spend tomorrow, 10 billion, what do, what do you make, what would economists think of that? Because, the, like, let's, let's leave, you know, the reality of, of human beings out of this. But, I mean, what would an economist think of that? Yeah, well, I mean, 10 billion, it's an awful lot of money and reco- economists tend to, tend to be kind of fiscally responsible yes. and that. So, I mean, you would have to be cautious. Now, I would have confidence in Pascal Donoghue and, and Michael McGrath. They seem to know what they're doing. Certainly, they're very articulate and they outline their ideas very well. But we have to have something, obviously, to cushion the blow. The cost of living is soaring, energy prices are soaring, uh, and people need something. They need something to get them through this winter. So you just hope that the policies are sensible, but they're also effective. All right. Thomas Alms, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Whatever, it's giving me a right giggle. Um, saying is Georgia Maloney. Um, anything to Andy Maloney can care. <laughs> uh, that's very good. Anyway, 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Now it's time for walks and talks. and fine. In fact, it's the season's final uh, walks and talks featuring John G. O'Dwyer and our own Ellie. 
Okay, John, where are we this week? Well, I'm going to struggle with that. I'm going to have to get a local man to actually answer that for you because we're either in Lisvarnan or we're in Lisvarinan, and I don't know which. We're in a beautiful village. That's the main thing about it. And it's the capital of the Glen of Aherlow. And, of course, the Glen of Aherlow is fantastic. It's famed in song and story, and it runs lovely from Galbally in County Limerick and Moor Abbey over there, over to Bansha. And we are right in the centre of it here in Lisvarnan. I call Lisvarnan for the moment anyway. But the main thing about this, we're always striking me at the Glen is, when you go to most Irish Glen, mountain glens, there's very, very poor land. You go down to the Black Valley down in Kerry, you go up into the Sleeve Blue Mountains, loads of valleys, but very, very poor. People wouldn't go up there. And what you have here is you have the perfect situation, a beautiful setting, as you can see here. But the great thing about the Glen was, of course, it has fantastic land as well as that. So it's a very fertile place as well as that. The problem with that is it's great for the Irish as well as that, but also of course the problem is, when you, anywhere you see fertile land, the planters, the people who came in after the Cromwellian plantation and that, they would see it as well and they would look for that land. And of course behind us then we have the Schlievenamuk range which is a fantastic, uh, lovely range and beautiful walks in that and you can go here from Lisvernan but as well as that then behind us we're looking up behind there and we can see the great range of the Galtee Mountains towering above us. So that's one of the great views that comes from here, from the Glen. And you have of course then, I'm looking at Greenland up there, Galti Beg, the small uh, Galti Mountain, Galti Moor, which is the highest. It's also the highest inland mountain in Ireland and it's beautiful, bathed in sunshine today. And then we come over Carrigabina, Koshabina, and then we go on over to Temple Hill, which is kind of the main uh, mountain on the west of the Galtees. A fantastic range, but a great fastness as well as that, because unlike the Cumras and unlike the Knockmeal Downs, you ca- if we're going to get up to you, want, you want to get up to any of the peaks in the Galtees, you have to slog it from the glens because unlike the Cumras and Galtees, there are no roads leading into the Galtees. So it's a great fastness and that probably attracted a lot of people to this area, particularly uh, all kinds of maybe rebels and sometimes rogues as well as that. But I mean, I have a kind of a general idea of history, but there's nothing like what the local people would think about it here. Because last week we covered Liam Lynch and we were out in Grange. We're continuing in that vein again this week. We are. I think we're right in the heart of the Civil War now. And at this stage, we're in September. And in effect, the Civil War is over. What has happened is there has been the Battle of Dublin and the, um, the Republicans, they want a republic, they were driven out of Dublin. But what really finished them was they then tried to hold a Munster Republic. But the Free State soldiers went down and they landed at Cork. Now you think the most ferocious brigades, the most successful, including all the ones, including Tom Barry and uh, Flory O'Donoghue and Liam Lynch, who we mentioned, were all had their brigades down there. And yet they totally, in three days, the Free State army had taken the city and I think effectively once that happened once the Republic had been breached the war was over it was then a question of maybe sorting out old scores sores and that kind of thing and it's just as well we're in September here because it would be a pretty un, it wouldn't be a nice sight if you're talking about uh, September uh, well, sorry if you're talking about November and December but what we want to do is get into the thing and one man who has fascinated me all the time and of course a lot of the rebels came here is Dan Breen and I don't even know how he managed to survive. He came out of more scrapes and yet he went on to be a TD and live until he was 69. He was shot so many times, he barely escaped so many times. But a man who might explain that to us and who knows all about that is Michael Moroni. And Michael Moroni, I suppose, is embodies in one body the spirit of the Glen. So he uh, so tell us about Dan Breen and his escape here. You're gone into April at this stage. The Free 
state army came here, it's reported there was 1,300 of them came on, and there was only a group of fellows inside, the people that I know you mentioned, Dan Breen, you had uh, Dinny Lacey and Paddy McDonough, and Paddy McDonough lived in this house here. We're uh, here on Main Street. You're here. Well, well, what's effectively Main Street yeah, yeah, in this yeah, Fernand, yeah, across from right. the school and just down yeah. a bit. And they had a shop and thing there, you know, and they did their business and everything, but they were very republic, and his sisters were there as well, and where you will hear about Dan Breen, and he escaped out the back. Jerry Kiley was not so lucky, another fearless fighter. He had shot Daly, one of the free staters, and had wounded English. And he jumped out over their bodies and out, and he says, come on, we'll take him on. But he didn't realise that there was 1,300 against three or four men. Breen had only a grenade. Jerry had his thumb gun and he had another rifle as well. He shot daily and he wounded the other man and then the bullets were gone out of that one so he had his other gun but that jammed and he coming out onto the street and as you can see there was a ditch of style here. This has gone to style now but he went out over and it was dark at night but the moonlit night it was they saw a shadow and they just opened fire on the shadow and it was actually Jerry Kiley they shot. And there's and a monument here Mark. There's a monument up here that there is to, to him and the anniversary is coming up next year in April the men that escaped out the back was Dan Breen and again he went into isolation. There was people there to take him. I could name houses here which are better not. <laughs> Down the village, or both sides of the village, Dan Breen stayed in because yeah. he still talked about and that he actually made it up to a house up there and got, was able to get away. He didn't get wounded now in this. He said afterwards that his head was wounded because of Jerry Kiley being shot. I know we're that, going to take a tour of some of the, the main spots that's right, in that yeah. escape um, that, as well throughout the morning. Yes. But I just wanted to ask you then, why was it that Dan Breen had such support? What was it about him that has made him such an iconic figure? Well, Dan Breen, you see, tis the men that were with him. You know, they all looked after him. Like, he was the name everyone adored Dan Breen. And Breen was like a god. Again, surrounded here in Nahalo one time, where we're going to be going after his dugout, where he was captured. Yeah. We're going to go to it later on. But, I mean, at that time, he escaped, and all around him were captured. But as they said, he just vanished into thin air because the guilty boys above. Like, I only know two places. I know the rebel cave, and I only know this took out. And I only know this because of people I met. And I was talking to Father Iggy Donovan. And Father Iggy Donovan's uncle was captured with Dan Breen, like another man. He was Donovan and Ryan. The three were captured above by the Free States. And here's another man. Here's a relation of... Paddy McDonough now. Paddy Boyce, uh, you're now living in that is infamous or famous home now where the incident where, where that yeah, led exactly, to Jerry Kiley's death. Yes. Were you always aware of such a, the, the strength of the history oh, behind the Oh, I was never sure. I was aware by my, my grand-aunt who was here the day that, that Jerry Kiley was shot. She was a sister of Paddy McDonough's, who was vice combatant, who was shot with Dinny Lacey a couple of miles over the road. How would she have spoken about it through the years? Oh, I told us everything that happened. Yeah. Told us that uh, she pleaded with him not to go out. Then Breen was in the house, he was injured, he went out the back door. And Jerry Kiley went out the front door. He shot a free state officer outside the door. And uh, then he continued up and shot himself up there. We didn't really look at it at the time when you're young as history, do you know? Yeah. It's only now sure it's been spoken about at all. In hindsight, what did they all die for, you know? So they, they didn't achieve much. They were great men, though. All brave men, weren't they? The bravest of the brave. Okay, John, the significance of where we are now, we're, we're, we've left Lisford, Anna, just to describe to our listeners where we are. 
Yeah, we're off. We're down in the Glen now. We're down at the monument to a person called, uh, well, they have Dennis Lacey up there, but everybody will know him as Dinny Lacey. But the interesting thing is, apart from people who are interested in history, very few people will have heard of him. Everybody will have heard mostly in Ireland of Dan Breen, Sean Tracy, Seamus Robinson, those. But what always amazes me about Dinny Lacey was he was the commander of the Flying Column here, the Tortipriary Brigade, and he was involved in some of the hardest, the toughest battles. He made it virtually impossible for the British to rule down here. Yes, you find that it is, you know, you hear about the Tom Barrys and we've spoken about the Liam Lynches and everything else. And we hear very little about uh, Dennis, Day, Dennis Lacey. And I don't know an enormous amount about him. So I'll hand you over to a man again now, Michael Maroney, our local historian, and he'll fill in on Dennis Lacey. Now, Michael, I know this, um, this monument is here, but it's not... The spot the where spot. he was no. killed. Yeah, the exact spot is just a couple of fields down here that there is. And also here is, uh, as you can see, there is uh, Frank DeWire and Ned DeWire. They were two young boys that were taken out uh, of their home and just shot because there was an ambush in Bansha. The Bansha barracks was burnt and that these boys were taken out just in retaliation. They just picked on these two boys. It, they weren't there at all. Unfortunately, for... that's not unique during this time. I know, that is correct, yeah. A year later, or three years later, Dinny Lacey is escaping out of a house down here. The Free State Army came on him again, and they were here on the intention of a peace, of a negotiation meeting. But Dinny Lacey was told by um, Liam Lynch not to entertain talks of a truce yet. It was an ambush. Also, with him was Paddy McDonough and Paddy McDonough died the day after. Paddy McDonough's two sisters were arrested as well. They were found with ammunition but they went in demanding to get the body of Paddy and everything. They were hard women too. Julia lived to 103 so we got a good lot of stories. What strikes me too is in the Glen why you, this was almost it seems to me with the knock me downs as the last place where the Republicans had a lot of support in the Civil War. And, you know, they would, I would, my guess is they'd have none in Kildare or County Mead or virtually none. Why do you think that was? What's special about the people here, rugged, rugged people here? The, the, the uh, Irish language, uh, they love their Irish language, they love their Irish poetry, they love their Irish culture. So it's ingrained in them from years and years back. The Gelty Mountain Boy, I'd love anyone to tell me which one of them was the Gelty Mountain Boy. There were so many, every generation had a Gelty Mountain We've our own Gelty Mountain Boy here now either. Father Reggie would disagree, but I think Joe, his brother, is our Gelty Mountain Boy. Okay, John, here we are off the beaten track down a few fields and here stands a solitary cross you'd never even know was here, would you? Absolutely, you wouldn't. And this is all thanks now to Michael Gorman, who's allowed us in here, because I'm kind of interested in all this War of Independence Civil War. I've never been anywhere near, near this. But this is where Denny Lacey was shot. And he was in, of course, the Free State Army then were gradually taking over the country. They had much bigger numbers, and they were doing a sweep up through the Glen. There were reputed to be over a 1,000 of them there. And uh, they surrounded the house he was staying in but he managed to escape out of the house and he raced across the fields and he was being pursued by the Free State soldiers. But he'd probably have gotten away, but this actually happened in February 1923. And the story goes that actually the river, which runs down through the centre of the Glen, being in February, was in flood and he could not get across it. And maybe he, he wasn't able to swim either, but it was very difficult. So he had to stay on that side and then he couldn't escape and the Free State was caught up to him and he was shot across a fence here. So again, you know, it's another 
poignant example of all, you know, maybe the terrible things we've done to each other on all sides in the Civil War. Where is Denny Lacey buried? Denny Lacey is buried inside in, in, in Tipperary, in the Republican plot in Tipperary town. But I think the thing about him is he was one of, I think, we don't, we don't know a lot about him, but he was certainly one of the most uh, top leaders, certainly, and he was originally born in Anacarty. But the main thing to remember is that the likes of Dan Breen and Tom Barry and those wrote books that became bestsellers. Um, well, Denny Lacey had passed away. So in that sense, we tend to have forgotten about him. Uh, but uh, he was, I'd say, an equal to any of the others who are better known in the War of Independence. And Mike, hard we're, times. we're going to the dugout then next. That's What's right. the significance of the dugout? The dugout is where they hid. Like, you know, Dan Breen was on the run then because, like, he was involved in all these ambushes. He was caught in the Glen of Ahlo. OK, Mick, after a bit of a trail, we find ourselves here, just under Schleifkushabina, on right. Conway's Glen. Yeah, you can hear Conway's. This is the site. Yeah, this is the site now, and you can see how remote it is, and how you look back up Conway's Lane, and then it's known as Conway's Lane down, just a little bit further down, and then it's known as Longford Lane, right? And it's between Schleif Kushnabina is here at the back of you, and by the side, and Crookmail is at the other side, mm. where Giant's Rock is out over across the top of that. Now, what we can but, see here then, it's just a few, a bit of stone that's left. Stone but how that's would it have looked? Oh, it would have been deeper than that. It was fairly big, like, because if you look at it, the tree has fallen down on it, but the rocks are here, and they had that roofed that they had, and they had sods on it. It was like green grass you were walking over. And the report is that when they got captured at the end of April here, they were here. The Free Staters, they were expecting to come up because they had been to Donovan's house. See, Donovan was captured with him, and they had been there, and they knew there was a dugout because that was a safe home, and these fellas would have fought on the same side one time, but this is the Civil War. So they have come up here, and it is reported that some fellow that gave the information where, because they could never find Breen, even in the Civil War, they weren't able to yeah. find him. But that there was reports that there was an Afton fag box, a 20 Afton fag box. is often talked about left on the top of the grass here. And they could know that there was the, the entrance was camouflaged with sods and things. And so that was everyone left by the Free Staters as a mark? The, yeah, yeah, as a mark, yeah, by the Free Well, someone left it for the Free Staters yeah. to find because they came down, hundreds of them again, and they came down this way from Schlieve Kushnabina kind of at one side of the glen and at the other side. They came from both sides and they were expecting them to come up the other way, you know, or even from even both sides. Mm-hmm. But they came down from behind, you know. It was a well-planned operation, so they must have known because then when they arrived here, the fag box, and afterwards, someone of the trees said the fag box was left there, you know, that that's, that would have never been captured. So they ordered them to surrender and bring them like, or three of them came out, like, well, they were surrounded by over a thousand men, you mm. know, and, like, they had only a few guns. So it's hard to caught. believe it, yeah. But yeah. you can see the site you're in. Yeah. The views down over the whole valley. So you'd know what's happening nearly down there. Mm. And you had fellas, lookouts and everything, but this was civil war, so a lot of people were with you or against you, and, mm. you know, the what heart was gone What happened to Breen after that capture? He was captured and brought into Tip Town. The whole lot of them, the three of them were captured and they were marched up through the town and into the barracks there. And then shortly after the truce and then the election and Breen was left out and he fought that. 
it's incredible such a, a, a huge piece of our history yeah that you if you came across it you wouldn't realize you wouldn't realize like you're here there's not a, not a thing here not a plaque not anything only an old tree very few knows of this i didn't know this until only uh, during lockdown that it was you know you were two kilometers from your home this all this history was here you know yeah. and we're hoping to do something uh, next year anyhow on the anniversary of it because the this was later on in april you had the first of april in this for yeah. the ambush that killed um jerry kiley correct and then denny lacy over uh, in belly david and clogher and now you're here between Schlieve and Muck. Well, you're here in my favourite part of Ireland, the Geltis. And my own. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're at the other <laughs> side the of the hill. You're at the other side of the hill. <laughs> John, just to finish up then, I know we spoke yeah. about it last week as well. Yeah, and the but fact something that... here to put to Michael as yeah. well, yeah. What all is... I, I mean, you know, I've... First of all, thanks very much. You've taken me somewhere I never was before. Although I often heard of Dan, Dan Breen's uh, cave, actually, it was called. Yeah. But what I thought Dan Breen's cave was above at the back of Loch Curra. Yes. Now, somebody told me, oh, that's not his cave, that's the Rebels' cave. Rebels' cave. cave. Now, you so, have our, have you're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see, uh, arms would have to be hid and everything. And you could you could only put three or four men here. You could put eight or nine men above in the other one. Mm. And you could actually then pack things into the side of the walls. Because uh, if you wrapped a gun in a thing and you went into the cave, you wouldn't find it. Yeah. But I was shown where they put in the things. And that, that would have been used by other men then, you know. Mm. But Dan Breen and... And Donovan and Ryan, they were the only few that knew this one because the Free Staters didn't even know. The Fagbos had to be left there for them because this was newly done. In this, when I say newly done, they never used it during the, during the War of Independence. Mm. This was done during the Civil War because Breen, every, they knew every safe house nearly, yeah. you know what I mean? So he had to get new places and the Gelty boys were always able to find an old place, you know. <laughs> but it's a fa- fascinating day and what I hope is now we can have the maturity. It's a great story to be told here in the Glen. So many places of historic interest from the Civil War and I hope Michael's thing can come true and that we can have some kind of a wonderful festival. Looks at our heritage, not in an old John next year is a big year. Yes, and it will be a huge year that we can celebrate that. It's 100 years on now, that we can celebrate that and we can understand that all the people who, you know, were involved there, whatever, they may, they may have uh, different views, but they were all vote, motivated for the best of Ireland. I'm looking forward, certainly, to coming down here and I've learned an awful lot today. And indeed, we learned an awful lot uh, this morning listening to that uh, wonderful piece by great storytellers as well. Great to hear uh, Mike Maroney's voice there and uh, the great John G. O'Dwyer along with our own Ali as well. And uh, that brings another great season of Walks and Talks to an end. You can listen back to all of the episodes, by the way, on our website. And remember that John G.'s new book is also available in your local bookshop and, of course, online at curricbooks.com. And to mark the final episode, we're giving away two copies of that book. It's called 50 Best Irish Walks. And if you want to get involved in that competition, all you have to do is text Walks and Talks to 083 311 That's 083 3113311. And uh, very best of luck to you. We'll take a break and then we'll talk sport. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery's 
The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. One of our listeners rather disappointed that I didn't put uh, he or she's question to uh, Frances O'Hanlon. What we normally do is that we store them up and we put them to her so that she has time to go through them and make sure that you have a proper comprehensive answer. So apologies if you were disappointed um, by that. But if it's something you need fairly quickly, if you want to speak to Emma, uh, we can get in touch with Frances on your behalf. Okay, so that's uh, 1800 938 right, let's talk sports. And glad to be joined now by our sports editor, Paul Carroll. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. Massive amount of hurling over the weekend, Paul. But I suppose now we have more clarity uh, about the championships. Yeah, still uh, still recovering from a fairly crazy weekend of, uh, of yes. Portland uh, in Tipperary. In all, there was 19 uh, knockout games wow. across the top four divisions. So uh, I hope you're ready. I'll give you a run through uh, okay. the results. So the senior hurling quarterfinals um, on Saturday, Drummond Inch, Betlockmore, Castellani, 21 points to 18. So the uh, reigning champions are, are out there. And uh, Killer One had a two-point win over Tumivara, 217 to 215. Um, large parts thanks to the late substitutions of two club stalwarts with Killer One, um, Boogie O'Mara and, and Seamus Hennessy there. And then Upper Church Tromban um, had a great win over J.K. Brackens yesterday. That was 221 to 121. Um, Upper Church scoring the last eight points there to win that game. And then uh, Kildang and Beth Clownty Ross Moore, 114 to uh, 12 points. And one three from Ty Gallagher being the kind of uh, the big difference there. And of course, Clownty playing with, with uh, 14 men after um, Aaron Ryan was sent off for two yellow cards in the first half. Um, but I suppose worth mentioning just on Clownty that you know they they played very well yesterday and the foot the fourteen men um kind of hampered their their chances yesterday but uh just the way they've handled themselves over the last uh, two months and everything that's gone on there um just just fair play to everyone mm. involved for keeping keeping the show on the road um as best they could for but sure. yeah they bowed out yesterday um so the senior semi final draws was made now so it's going to be Drummond Inch versus Killadangan and Upper Church Drumband versus Killer One so that's going to be a double header in Semple Stadium and that's going to be on uh, Sunday week so Sunday October the ninth. So uh, plenty to look forward to there. At the other end of the senior championship then, uh, the relegation semi-finals run over the weekend. Mike Harkey Burris had a 120-17 to 17 point win over Errol Ganacarthy and Mulnahon had a 24 points to 214 win over Templeberry. So that means the relegation final, that's going to be um, Saturday, October the 8th and that's going to be Templeberry versus Errol Ganacarthy. Uh, dropping down a grade now to the Premier Intermediate Hurling Championship. Uh, these were the quarterfinals. Burgess had a 327-223 win over Cashel in extra time. Uh, Gertnahu had a 122-216 win over Port Roll. St Mary's were 118-111 winners over Silvermines. And Ross Gray were 226-214 winners over Thurdis B. And I nearly need to take a breath for Anders. <laughs> so much games going on. Um, but the semi-final draws there now is... Um, Burgess versus Ross Gray and Gurton Who versus St. Mary's and they're going to be played on Saturday, October the 8th. Then in the Premier Intermediate Relegation semi-finals, Newport had a one-point win over Killadang and B. That was 23 points to 313 and Ballina secured their second-tier status. They beat Carrick Swan at 416 to 113. So the um, Premier Intermediate Relegation final is going to be Killadang and B against Carrick Swans and that is going to be on October 15th or 16th. So um, a couple of weeks for both sides there to prepare for that one. 
then uh, the Intermediate Hurling Championship preliminary quarterfinal Kilsheel and Kilcash 3.21 Borhulah and Duala 3.21 after extra time so this one had to go to penalties Fran and Kilsheel and beat uh, Borhulah 4-3 on penalties so a penalty shootout there on Saturday afternoon and then in the Intermediate Hurling Relegation semi-finals uh, Ballybacon Grange 2.14 and Ballinahinch 19 points so a one point win for Ballybacon to, to keep their uh, intermediate status and uh, it has to be mentioned Brendan Cummins um, in goals for Ballybacon 47 years of age wow. out of the 2.14 that Ballybacon scored Brendan Cummins scored 1.12 so incredible, isn't just it? Yeah. unbelievable stuff uh, yeah. from Brendan Cummins. So he keeps uh, or helps keep Bally Bacon up. Um, and then in the other set of uh, relegation semi final, it was Carrick Davins beating Shannon Rovers two eighteen to one eighteen. So that sets up an intermediate relegation final of two North teams, Ballin Hinge against Shannon Rovers. And then finally in the Junior A hurling quarterfinals, uh, the four quarterfinals around this weekend, there are Sarsfields beat Latin Cullen three twenty two to three eighteen. Upper Church Stromban are having a great year all round in that club. They beat Galtier Rovers 116 to 6 points. Moyle Rovers had a 24 points to 113 win over Bursley. And then Grange Mokler Bally Neal 123 to Mivar 24 points. Um, and that was the Junior A Hurling quarterfinals. So, yeah, a lot mighty, to get through, Fran. Mighty we, we stuff indeed. Take, take a big deep breath indeed. Yeah. Uh, let's look to uh, Camogie. And over the weekend, of course, we had the quarterfinals there. We did, Jan. Earlier in the week, we had um, confirmation of the, the new um, managers for the yeah. inter-county team. So, worth mentioning as well, Dennis Kelly, a Tumi man, he's going to be the new senior manager. He was, of course, in with Bill Milani as a, as a hurling coach for the last two seasons. So, uh, he knows plenty about that squad. So, interesting to see how he gets on in the next couple of years. And then the new uh, Tipperary junior hurling manager is going to be David Sullivan. So, the Lurra native uh, goes in there. But, yeah, the senior hurling or Camogie Championship quarterfinals run over the weekend. Um, Aerogan McCarthy were 2 to 3-7 winners over Burgess Duhara and Clownty Ross Moore were 3-12 to 2-8 winners over Thurda Sarsfields so that sets up the semi-finals they're going to be played on Sunday October the 8th and it's uh, Drummond Inch playing Aero Ganacarthy and Cashel up against Clownty Ross Moore so that's a uh, two weeks time at those games and also over the weekend um, in the Camogie Championship the Intermediate Championship saw Care and Bursley draw 2-8 to 1-11 Newport Ballina Hinch beat Borland Duala 5-12 to 3-11 and uh, Killer One McDonough's were two eleven to three one winners over Tumi Vara. We don't often speak about the Greyhound racing, but there was a local uh, win over the weekend. Yeah, so uh, a, a Tipperary trained uh, Greyhound had a, had a big win in the Irish Greyhound Derby. So Born Warrior is the name of the Greyhound, and it's trained by a Killinall native, Jennifer O'Donnell. So it's a, it's a massive race um, in the, the Greyhound racing calendar, and it was actually worth €125,000. So a massive win there at a full uh, full house in Shelburne Park on Saturday night. So yeah, Born Warrior trained by a Killinall native. Of Jennifer O'Donnell and the owners of that dog is the uh, uh, whatever you like syndicate is the name of them. So 125 grand uh, nice going one. in that direction. Nice one and well done to them indeed. Let's look forward then. What have we to look forward to? GAA, I suppose. First of all, yeah, back to uh, back to football next weekend. We're down to the semi-final semi-final stages. So next Sunday in the senior championship, it's a double header in Golden. First up at 1:30 p.m. It's Moyle Rovers versus Clonmel Commercials. Then at quarter past three. Renan champions Lockmore Castellani against Upper Church Drumban. So that's uh, next Sunday. That's the senior uh, semi-finals, and they'll both be on uh, live here on Tip FM. And then uh, next Saturday, the Intermediate Football Championship semi-finals with Mullinahone versus Golden Kilfiekel at one thirty in Littleton. And then at half past three in Littleton, it's Ballina versus Grange Mokler Ballyneil. 
and then just the uh, couple of Tom Cusack Cup semi-finals Rockwell Rovers versus Aero Ganacarthy and Drummond Inch versus Killinall they're both on Cashel next Saturday afternoon and then the senior football relegation final it's Aherlow against Care in Bansha that's on Saturday at half past two and uh, also the Junior A football quarterfinals are on next weekend so there's one game on Saturday that's Ballangarry versus uh, Ross Gray and Ann Rovers that's in Temple 2 at 3pm Sunday, at tw- all these uh, three games are on at 12 o'clock. We've Killadangan versus Clarehan, that's on in Holy Cross. Third of Sarsfields versus Solahead in Dundrum. And Sean Tracy's versus Gurton Hooglengool, that's in Bursalee. So, yeah, plenty of football Looks next weekend. Much to look forward to there. Camogie, uh, of course, as well next weekend. Camogie, yeah, just, uh, just intermediate um, fixtures next Saturday. Killer One McDonough's versus uh, Newport Ballon Hinch and Shannon Rovers versus Tumivara. They're both on at half past five. So, yeah, the yeah. Uh, the senior semi finals then will be on the weekend after this next weekend. So, uh, a low key enough weekend coming up in, in Camogie. Sunday is a big day for ladies' football, though. Yeah, this is the, the big day. It's county final day next Sunday. With a, there's a triple header in Bansha in the uh, Tipperary Ladies Football Championship so it gets underway at 12 o'clock that's the intermediate final so last year's uh, junior champions Mulnahone are looking for two straight promotions they're playing uh, Borland Duala that's at 12 in Bansha then same place at 2pm it's the senior B final Clamel Commercials against Temple Moor and then at 4pm it's the senior final it's the big one Feathered versus Brian Bruce and that's uh, it sets up to be a great final they, they played each other earlier this year and it was a draw game so it uh, should be a, a great um, afternoon of excitement in Bansha there next Sunday and uh, just finally Paul then horse racing it is back isn't it yeah racing is back in, in Tipperary this uh, this week it's in Clonmel on Thursday and the seven race card gets underway at Powerstown Park at uh, 10 to 2 so racing in Clonmel this Thursday all right, great to talk to you, Paul. Take a big breath now, have a little yeah. cup of coffee and rest yourself for a while. Thanks very much, Paul. Thank Cheers, you. Thanks, Bye-bye. That's a sports editor, Paul Carroll, speaking to us from our sports desk in Nina. Now, the Drummondier Literary Festival kicks off uh, this coming weekend. It's running from Friday until Sunday, October 2nd. And the festival was founded in 2004 by a small group of enthusiasts in Drummondier, North Tipperary, uh, by the shores of the beautiful Loch Derg. And joining me now is Geraldine McNulty, who is chairperson and a curator of the festival. Uh, Geraldine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Lovely to talk to you again. Uh, good to talk to you as well. Um, I mean, it's always a great occasion, but post-COVID, it makes it all the richer, I suppose, Geraldine. Well, absolutely, but we, uh, COVID didn't actually stop us, Fran. We had two live festivals during COVID, which were, and on both occasions, lockdown happened the following day, so we... So we, <laughs> there's no stopping the Drummondier Nina Literary Festival. Very Fran. good. Can you give us some highlights of what we're going to expect this weekend, Geraldine? Well, it's going to be action-packed. Um, we have an event starting at 6pm on a Friday evening with Nicholas Ryan Purcell, who's from Nina, who's written a wonderful book about his mm. life dealing with autism. And a uh, guest speaker at that will be Adam Harris, who is the CEO of As I Am. Now, that is a free event, but needs to be booked if people are interested. Yes. And then, uh, well, the highlight of uh, Friday night will definitely be Ross O'Carroll Kelly coming to Munster. He's, he's putting on a brave face here now. <laughs> and uh, since he's now been uh, appointed the new head coach of the Irish rugby team, we have got to turn up and see how Absolutely. that's going to work out. Yes. And then Saturday is really action-packed. We have a wonderful event in the Heritage Centre on uh, t- at 2pm called Radicals. 
and this is focusing on Common Amman and in particular Maura Comerford, uh, who is a wonderful Republican lady from County Wexford. And joining us by Zoom from um, Indiana, Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, is uh, Julie Morrissey, who wrote, um, who produced a podcast and uh, a poetry publication mm. about the Common Amman women when she was poet in residence in the National Library last year. And then we move from the Heritage Centre to the castle, all the wonderful historical uh, buildings we have in Nina for a very special occasion. The uh, Drumnia Nina Literary Festival have um, commissioned poet uh, Emily Collin and uh, musician Eileen O'Brien, who are joining forces. And they have written a vibrant new uh, work um, that draws inspiration from the the Shannon, called um, Shannon, a suite. And this is a suite of four movements with contrasting time signatures and tempo. There's an air, Blanksby, a slip jig and a reel. And um, it's called, Emily has set her words to this original score by herself and Eileen O'Brien. And it will be a world premiere and uh, performed live in the wonderful acoustics of uh, Nina Castle. Emily is a harpist as far as I remember. Emily is a harpist and a poet and yes. a curator and she's actually poet in residence in the creative writing of course in UL at the moment. Mm. So, you, ha- you have a, a couple of other fantastic uh, events on the Saturday as well. Yes, that is going to be followed by a really interesting event at 6pm mm. in the Art Centre. We're moving to the Art Centre for the following two events um, where we have three debut authors and I'm sure many people will have read um, uh, Edel Coffey's wonderful book Breaking Point mm. uh, which examines the awful tragedy of a family and um, reflects on modern living for young parents and um, then we have Angela Flannery whose wonderful work set in Tremor in County Waterford all about well not all about the amusements but called the amusements mm. um, which is very interesting work as well about uh, local people and neighbours and families and a very interesting work uh, by um, an American author Connor Habib now Connor's been living in Ireland for a while and he's written this uh, quite a thrilling and suspensive work uh, Hawk Mountain so that would be really interesting for people to come along to and then yes mm. that would be a very uh, very mm. good event and with them we have Donna Ryan and the Queen of Dirt Island at 8pm. That's so, fantastic. And it's in conversation with Mary Wilson of RTE, isn't it? That's yeah. right, yeah. Mary. And Mary is also doing the event at 2 o'clock with, um, about the, the radical uh, women in Common Amman. But Sunday morning is going to be really special um, uh, on the lake and uh, celebrating the River Shannon. Um, it's quite an interesting event. Uh, these are it's kind of a two-hander, but people who come to one or other or both, they'll be more than welcome. Mm. We're starting off down in Ballycommon, where the Winton Atira group are hosting us. And um, Paul Clements, who is a, a travel writer and journalist, has written a book um, called Shannon Country. Now, this is based on... Uh, uh, an original journey made by Richard Hayward um, from uh, Belfast in 1939. And Hayward is the most amazing character. He was an actor, a writer, a singer. He worked in the shipyards uh, on maintenance during World War One. then set up the Belfast Repertory Theatre a couple 
company with his wife. Uh, he also recorded, um, he was a great singer and was a very famous singer in the 40s and 50s. And he was one of the first um, artists to be recorded by the BBC. He then uh, again, wrote poetry and novels and written five um, novels, oh. five books on, on, the, on the, the four uh, provinces of right. Ireland. And in 1940, he uh, published Where the River Shannon Flows. And there's original footage. He made the journey down, having written the book, he, he made the journey through uh, the River Shannon from the pot to the estuary. And there's original, we're showing this original footage of that trip in Ballycommon Hall oh, on fantastic. a Saturday yeah. morning. And there's also a little travelling exhibition of um, posters of his films and songs and books. And when we have heard about him, then Paul will talk a little bit. Paul retraced his steps then and published his book in um, uh, 2018. Mm. And um, Paul will talk a bit about the changes in the River Shannons, with the contrasting between the two journeys, um, which will be really interesting. And then we're going to all hop in the cars again down to Drummondair, yeah. where we'll board the QE2 and we'll sail out on the gorgeous uh, Loch Derg from, from the quayside there. And John Connell, who's written the most beautiful book, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard it, um, The Stream of Everything. And John was a fascinating character, a farmer, a journalist, a documentary maker. So there's a lot going on in that book. It's a beautiful philosophical book. It's a beautiful nature book. It talks about maps and mapping and townlands and his inner journey as well. Um, he's suffering with uh, depression yes. and he's, how he's overcome that and the values and the importance of meeting local people. Um, and uh, when you're, how a writer really gives emotional response to the landscape. So that's a beautiful uh, morning and not to be missed on the glorious Loch Derg. You have two our, more, you have two more yes, items, don't you? Yeah. Our, well, I'm afraid our fact and fiction uh, is completely sold out. Um, that is uh, basically a book by Martina Evans, who wrote about um, a fictional account of um, the Somerville, of the Somerville and Ross writing yeah. uh, couple, um, about her fears of losing her house during the troubles, uh, the big house in Rochelle down in West Cork. Now it wasn't burned down, she was she survived it. And then we have Professor Terence Dooley, uh, who has written this wonderful book about the factual account of, of the almost three hundred wonderful Irish houses that were burned mm. during the um, uh, during the troubles. And we finally finish up with tea and cake and music and poetry in the Abbey Court at and that is at five PM. It was a little earlier in the in the brochure, it says four PM, but that event is actually at five PM and it's very relaxing. We have the wonderful Michael Jurek, the local poet and musician, um, to accompany them. And it's a lovely, relaxed evening with a gorgeous delicacies from the kitchen at the Abbey Court Hotel. All the detail, I guess, Geraldine, and how to book tickets, that's that's all available online for people, isn't that's it? online at www.dnlf.ie or Drummond and Nina will get you into it or booking at the Nina Art Centre as well. Is, um, they look after you there at www.ninaarts.com. Very good. Is the sort of theme as a celebrating the harp, is that the theme of the festival? Yes, actually, yes. Well, that's, that's an important uh, factor. 270 years ago, Bunting um, 
came to the, at the Belfast Harp Festival mm. 270 years ago, we're talking about now, first notated the Irish music. And, and it's been invaluable to musicians, hasn't it, over ab- the centuries? Yeah. Absolutely, and to our whole history yeah. and culture of, of traditional music and the harp in this country, which is so mm. vibrant and so strong. And Eileen O'Brien, of course, our local um, musician here, whose uh, father, Paddy O'Brien, was yes. a very famous musician, and Eileen keeping up that tradition. And actually, both Emily and Eileen now work at the University of Limerick in, great, in the US. It? Yeah. It's just a lovely coincidence. Fantastic. But that would be a beautiful event, and it's always very atmospheric in the castle, and the acoustics are amazing. So it's, oh, I'm really looking forward to this. For and sure. it's a world premiere commissioned by the Drummoneer Nina Literary Festival. So we're very, very proud of that. And so, and so you should be. Geraldine, have a marvellous time this weekend, and we'll continue to remind people about those wonderful events throughout the week. But thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you very thank much, friend. Take you. care now. Thank bye-bye. You, you too. Bye-bye to you now. That's Geraldine McNulty there, and Geraldine is chairperson and curator of uh, the Drummoneer Nina Literary Festival, 1800 The books, the Walks and Talks books, uh, going to Seamus Fogarty from Carrick and Shore. Well done to you, Seamus. And Philomene, Philomena Stapleton as well. Now, of course, we're on air every single morning from nine o'clock. We spoke to Richie in the first hour, who took exception to the fact that uh, a listener was referred to by moi as being uh, anti-vax. And here's a little of uh, what it is he had to say. I know plenty of people out there who had other issues with their health and they made their decision whether they wanted it or not. And some people were, were bullied. Appointments were made on their behalf and everything to, to keep vaccinating people, you know. I, I think a lot will emerge in the next couple of years as to this vaccination programme. You know, I think a lot will emerge. I don't think people right now are ready to hear the truth of what has really happened, you know. I have followed RIP.ie for quite a while and the amount of sudden deaths are astounding. Young people just drop under the floor. Mainstream media are doing their best to normalise it by putting it into TV programmes. It's like a, a form of brainwashing to say this is normal, that people are having heart attacks and dropping to the ground. It's happening more and more and more. But I don't think people want to hear the truth. They don't want to know. We were fooled, we were conned. And that's uh, Richie's opinion from this morning between 9 and 10. A lot of our listeners joining in that conversation as well. Don't forget, of course, we're with you every single weekday morning from 9 o'clock. We'll take a break. We're back with more. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, as you're well aware, at this point, this autumn, Tip FM wants to recognise businesses that are the lifeblood of communities right throughout uh, the county, and we're doing that with our Best of Tip Awards. Delighted to say that our programme director, Stephen Kyo, was with me. How are things going with this, Stephen? Flying, absolutely. Yeah. We've had over 20,000 nominations wow. so far. 
Incredible. So wow. we're delighted. And there's only five days to go to get the nominations in. And that's really why I just want to give it a mention again today. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's brilliant. And there's 15 categories. So some people are, are just voting or nominating rather in one category. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, others are going through the, uh, it's like the ballot paper, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yeah. But uh, you, you, can, you can vote oh, right you can, throughout yeah. the categories. Yeah, there's yeah. 15. So... Yeah, you, you you might want to go in and vote for the best pub, say, and then you, you'll notice there's, oh, there's a restaurant there, there's a takeaway, and, you know, you can you can fill it in as you do. But maybe the best thing to do is to have a look at it first and have a have a sit down rather than just go in and say, OK, I'm going to vote for this barber uh, and then just, you know, not know what you're... It's like well, it's like going into an election, not knowing who your mm. your preferences are and you end up just ticking boxes, whatever. But if you, if you think about it first, um, maybe try and uh, mm. fill out as much as you can because, as I say, it's, it's totally up to the listeners of, of Tip FM. It's nothing to do with us. You know, we have no say at all uh, as to as to who's going to win. And what's going to happen is on Friday, the nominations will close. So mm-hmm. you have four or five days to go. And then we'll, we'll top them all up over the weekend. There'll be five selected, a short list of five in each category. And on Monday, we'll then hour by hour, we'll drip feed the information out and you'll know who the five are shortlisted in each category are by six o'clock on Monday and then the voting will start. So at that stage, you'll be voting for whichever is, uh, Very good. is your choice. And how long will that go on for? Two weeks, about two, two weeks, weeks, two and a okay. half weeks in total. Uh, I can reveal now at this stage we are having an awards night. It's on the 25th of October and it's in the Anor in Thurlis. A venue you know well. I do know well, and a beautiful venue it is too, with gorgeous food there and everything. The 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 one that really well, they all intrigue me, but the local hero one is one that I'm particularly intrigued with. That's going extraordinarily well, isn't it? It is, and it's different from the others in the sense that it there won't be a shortlist for this. Right. So we'll just be announcing the winner of the local hero. Very hard. I mean, and, and all very worthy uh, nominees at this stage. Very hard to 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 choose. We'll have a, a panel of judges on that one. So so that is the the difference. The difference. Uh, mm. award, if you like, from, from the other 15. Yeah, what's fascinating fascinating about that is that, I mean, that's so subjective, isn't it? You it know, is. I mean, it could yeah. come from any aspect of the what's happening in the community. I it guess. could, and I mean, we've heard of so many heroes in terms of the last few years during the pandemic, yeah. um, you know, especially, yeah. but I mean, it could be somebody who's, uh, you know, a lifelong volunteer for ex-sporting club, um, so many, you know, a carer, just, just so, it's it's very, very hard. Volunteer and, in the community yeah. or whatever. And yeah. I mean, look, I mean, everyone nominated is deserving and it will be very tough and uh, we'll have to ultimately come up with the local hero and the best of tip awards. Mm. Uh, just to run through uh, quickly the categories then. Barber, beauty salon, breakfast roll, butcher, coffee, gym, hairdresser, ladies boutique, menswear, um, best pub, restaurant, takeaway, tourist attraction, uh, sports club and as we said there, local hero. So it's quite broad, isn't it? It's very broad and and it's very close mm. in, in because just, I mean, we've had a scan through them. We haven't totted up votes uh, and nominations yet. But there would be, in a lot of categories, maybe 10 vying for the five spots, if you like, right. to be shortlisted. So it's all, it's. I mean, every vote counts. I sound like a politician here, but every single vote counts. And it. I know it's going to come down to one or two votes in uh, in the to get into. Like, it's most important, obviously, to get into to the shortlist. Of course. Then, yeah. then I, I can... I'm just imagining what's going to happen. There will be campaigns run and, you know, mm, once mm. a business or a person or, or whatever premises has been has been shortlisted at that stage, then 
I, I would imagine there'll be a yes. vote for me type thing. And Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying we'll, we'll see billboards or anything. Up, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because people, yeah. certain, certain of them really intrigue me, as I say, locally here. But the tourist attraction is going to be a very interesting one as well, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah. And a lot of people would probably be voting for the nearest one to them yeah, or the one yeah. that you know they feel oh this is such a you know and I want to highlight whatever yeah. is, is good in my local area uh, there's the obvious ones clearly uh, I don't know whether they'll be even in the top five I yeah. mean at this stage you know there will be surprises and people will go how did that not get into the top five? And our answer to that is because you didn't nominate it okay. enough times. Yes. And, so, and that yeah. puts it out there, doesn't it? If there's something you feel strongly about, nominate. Yeah, nominate, yeah. You know, and the okay. nominations, like it has to be stressed, the nominations, in a sense, they're like votes because we count up the nominations. So even though we're saying nominations, it's it's more or less voting for at this stage and then we'll count them up and that's how the shortlist will be determined. So if you don't nominate and that, whatever you want doesn't get enough it won't be in the shortlist and it can't win so all right so the best of tip awards so it is uh, tipfm.com uh, and they'll they'll be guided then towards that uh, area of the website I guess. yeah nothing has changed since last yeah. week since we launched so there yeah you go in on tipfm.com on the homepage or indeed on social media you see all the various feeds and links on our social sites and you have the option then of either just putting in one or 15 if you can that'd be great and uh, thanks to the local Enterprise Office Tipperary, of course, supporting local business. All right. Thanks, Stephen. We'll uh, let you off to open up the time tunnel. Thanks very much indeed. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after her content. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.